off the ball. Cristiano Ronaldo was offered to numerous clubs in the summer and no deal could have been done. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is AI from the future. Yeah. It's like um, Terminator style. Someone from the future has planted him here as a, almost a, an experiment, a social experiment. Um, and that's why he is so good at, at scoring goals. In in this version, uh, John Connor is actually his dad. Yes. It's all Roy Keane's fault. Somewhere along the way, yeah, yeah. it's uh, all Roy Keane's fault. We all know a robot's favourite food is lasagna and it's come out since the Manchester Derby that his father cooks him lasagna before every home game are they trying to like humanise him a bit and you know is that cause yeah 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 I haven't seen that many um, ads no 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 he's not like <laughs> he's not a clothes horse the way Messi and Ronaldo are true yeah. is that just that the that the big brands haven't caught up to him yet keeping his powder dry like, I, he must be in some bits and pieces is he he's in the, is he in the background but I haven't seen him being the the lead maybe that's it that there's no he has no distractions like it, literally his father and everyone else around him is like well concentrate on the football you're only 22 all of those opportunities will come which is, which is a fair argument but he could be making a lot more money than he is probably commercially at the minute yeah I do think that Hollywood is, is like that's the direction <laughs> this is going I, I'm, I'm kind of not joking like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I he, he probably needs a World Cup though he probably needs to get to a World Cup for it to cross over I mean you don't really like he doesn't he doesn't really he's at the most watched football club at the world in the biggest competitions in the world at the moment but mm. you kind of like doing it at a World Cup and the next World Cup obviously no better place than Mexico yeah. um, Canada and the United States to um, well, well Pelle had 58 Maradona did 86 Ronaldo had no real World Cup he had the Euros I guess yeah, Messi yeah. hasn't had a World Cup as such uh, he did reach a final he did reach a final but you know I guess you need those famous images of you lifting and the trophy being too. on the bench in 06 probably cost Argentina the chance that was it yeah, that was yeah. their chance you know Yeah. Um, I, I, maybe they don't need that at all just in terms of the marketing but it's like FIFA would then market they would have rights to footage of him doing something amazing and that would also explode and it would be in the history books forever so maybe yeah. maybe that's completely irrelevant nowadays maybe he just needs to get on Instagram a bit more maybe maybe up, it's all up your socials. Instagram Talent. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Yeah, and he's young too. I'm sure he's good on the on, on the gram as well. I, I, like someone on BT described him last night as a, a walking, talking cheat code, which I thought summed him up quite well. And Jack Grealish's post match interview as well last night. He like like a bit like James Madison. Very very int- interesting interviewee. Um, always love listening to Jack Grealish after a match. I missed that. What did he say? He couldn't stop smiling, and uh, he started saying that he was, he was asked about Haaland, and he said, "I've never witnessed anything like it in my life." in terms of training and matches and he said during the game last night the Copenhagen keeper came up to him after maybe Haaland's second goal and said that guy's not human so sticking with the robot theme here obviously the Copenhagen keeper is uh, agreeing with us but um, yeah it was just uh, like he was also talking about the fact that he, he wants to add more goals to his game Grealish was brilliant last night for City um, which is really a good sign for Pep Guardiola as well Aymeric Laporte back after his surgery as well and, and played quite well won the penalty um, Riyad Mahrez was talked about in advance of the game hasn't performed as he did last season has hasn't a new been, contract hasn't been picked hasn't been picked at all uh, played well last night Riyad Mahrez he only scored the penalty of course but um, back into the team so like there's no and then you see Haaland being taken off Cole Palmer coming on playing brilliantly uh, Rico Lewis and Josh Wilson Esbern as well off the bench young, two youngsters uh, and they just all looked like they just effortlessly 
seemed into that Champions League night. You know, these are kids, and yet whatever City are doing with their with their underage talent, it's um, it's working because they all just merged into the game perfectly after Haaland went off. Uh, yeah, I think the fans and and every, all of us watching wanted Haaland to stay on. Um, it is the death of football, though. We all, we all understand this yes. is the death of football. Except that Haaland will move on. Obviously, he's uh, he's already told everybody that his dream is to be the best striker at multiple clubs. So he'll do the tour of Real Madrid and at some point end up in PSG and the, or maybe, maybe it'll be Barcelona. Whoever it is, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, potentially. Like the the there was rumours before the game last night of of this uh, potential Real Madrid release clause in Haaland's contract. Um, and I was thinking, well, this is just newspaper rumours. Pep was asked about it in the in the in the post match press conference, and he said there is no such there is no such clause that he thinks Haaland is enjoying his time at City. Obviously, so far, would you tell everybody if there was? Well, you probably wouldn't. Um, but then, if it emerged that there was, you'd be like, well, Pep, you said there was. I know, but they, you know, I mean, that's what I said. I was doing my job. I was yeah. just following orders. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine there would be a Real Madrid release clause like if Real Madrid want him. They'll just come get him in a few years' time, but um, well, there'll be a price. There will be a price. Yes, but we're, like, we've often wondered what the ceiling is for for football transfers. Haaland is the ceiling. Like, well, uh, but Haaland's really smart, and that what he did was he said, "I'll stay with you, Dortmund, but I will have a price that is not ridiculous, mm. so that I'll get the money instead of you getting the money." Yeah, so maybe the the race clauses won't be too ridiculous for Haaland. It won't be Neymar numbers like it'll be. Well, they're all stupid signing yeah. those contracts with the billion dollar release clause because no one's ever going to sign it. Yeah. It's, it's idiotic. Like they, they just want to be the player with the billion dollar release clause. Well, it sounds Looks great good. and it's a massive boost to their egos but it's really bad for their bank balance. Not yeah. that their bank balance really needs puffed up any further yeah. but like there's so much uh, idiocy when it comes to negotiating these deals and you think about Harry Kane wanted to leave but couldn't leave because uh, he'd, uh, he'd he'd thought that uh, they might let him go because they said they might let him go, yeah. and then they changed their minds. Well, <laughs> it's, not, it's not not written in the contract. I yeah, don't, I don't see it says I can let you go here, Harry. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's yeah. It's it's one of those things. Like the, um, you almost wonder with with Haaland, like that's nineteen in, goals in eleven games in Ever City. That would have been if he went on to score another hat trick last night, which he probably would have. A fourth in five home games. Like is this Pep Guardiola going right? Let's. Let's calm this down a bit. I don't want him to score a hat trick because then the, the, all, all the headlines yeah. are there. Well, I think you definitely you're going to see him being managed in games. They're going to manage his minutes like an Irish rugby player from this point yeah. to the end of the season, which will which will limit how many goals he can score. And maybe if you're Pep, you're thinking I don't really want him to break Dixie Dean's record this season because if he does that, what's going to be his motivation next year? So how about I like get him to a certain point? And then start taking him off after half an hour when the game is over. <laughs> but he strikes me as someone who always just like if he scores seventy goals this season, he's going to want seventy five next season. Like he's that type of fella. Um, but if you set the record in this league, yeah, true. Yeah. Do you not then go right? Who who's the Spanish league? What's that record? What did Pushka score? What did De Stefano score? I can do that. What okay, if, I'm out of here. Sorry, folks. <laughs> well, if they don't win the Champions League this year, that's obvious uh, reason to, to keep going next year. But so, the, yeah, worst case scenario, you win both the league and the Champions League, yeah. and you set the record. It's like uh, there are no other worlds for me to, to burn, <laughs> to conquer. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, it's becoming more and more increasingly likely that that City will win the Champions League this year. The more I look at Haaland, so unless he gets injured, um, um, yeah, Chelsea pretty good. Yeah, Chelsea pretty good. And, and the latter stage of the Champions League, anything can happen. But but. If Haaland continues this form across the season, Leo Messi scored a good goal last night. Ah, oh, peach for PSG. You know they ended up drawing the game with with Benfica, but um, that group's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Benfica are excellent. Yeah, Juventus won last night, finally getting off the mark against Haifa, and so Benfica and PSG have seven points. 
you have three. Yeah. So you they aren't out. No, no. And you would uh, think they might be able to do some damage. Well, that's, it's, uh, it's a decent group. And um, Adrian Rabio, the the man that that wasn't for Manchester United scoring a couple of goals for Juventus last night. I mean, maybe he would have been better than uh, Casemiro because he's never playing Casemiro. At least he wanted. Yeah. He seemed to want Rabio. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was his attitude that everyone was talking about. But yeah, there's it was some of- Mars' attitude that everyone was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> It was, yeah, and, and like I'm actually liking the way some of the groups are headed. Um, the Chelsea group is is mad. Um, like they go to the San Siro on Tuesday for the return leg now against AC Milan, and that's going to be that's going to be a fairly big game. But but the way it's set up, RB, RB Salzburg beat Dinamo Zagreb one 0 last night. I don't think there's any more than two points between top and bottom in that group. Um, so. Like but heading into the game last night, Chelsea couldn't afford really any more slip ups, and they get the three 0 win against AC Milan. Let's not forget AC Milan are the Serie A champions. They're playing really well at the minute as well. Um, but Chelsea were electric, and the atmosphere was seemed to be brilliant through the TV screens at Stamford Bridge, which we haven't seen in, in quite some time. Um, we we're talking before the game. Graham Potter was asked during the week about. I think it was a style of football and, and sexy football and he says I very rarely feel sexy and he kind of spoke about how Grahams are very rarely sexy which is a fair point but apologies to any Grahams watching this morning who I mean Graham Hunter he, he's, he's a sexy well man. sorry Graham yeah, yeah, he'd be an exception if Graham Hunter's watching then he's definitely one of the uh, one of the sexy Grahams but there there are yeah it's just one of those names that you, that you just uh, don't, don't, don't associate it with it but I think so, he had the roll neck jumper on last night the black roll neck jumper one of the newspapers described Graham Potter as the milk tray man uh, today uh, which I thought was a good good reference he, he, he's looking the part I don't think he tried this hard on the sidelines of the Amex I mean is that the same jumper that Pep wears essentially yeah I don't know if it was a full turtleneck or if it was the I don't know what the difference in a roll neck and a turtleneck is but but it was yeah it was pretty high um, he had a blazer on too he did yeah, he properly looked the part um so that like that that maybe that's part of his plan. That look, Champions League night, Europe. Let's look. Clouds make it the man, right? It does. And uh, look, he proved he was up to it last night because that's a big game for Chelsea, big win. Uh, Clothes make it the man. As somebody who's been in touch to say, Irish Eye says Shane maybe wearing a skin coloured T-shirt under an open shirt while on camera isn't a great idea. I mean, you say that <laughs> Irish Eye. It's salmon coloured. Unless my skin is salmon, it, 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 it does look. I'm just looking at the camera right yeah. here. Yeah, it's quite similar. You're to, kind of to washed out by the, the lighting here. Yeah, uh, my mother would be telling me now Shane you should have worn a, a darker coloured t-shirt now but thank you for the fashion advice uh, I'll take it on board and nah, take he's, it he's just trying to um, to get you excited this morning Irish eyes you know <laughs> just, to, just to show a little bit I'll try harder the rest of your imagination maybe I'll wear a roll neck jumper in one of the mornings um, Graham Potter style on the Champions League days uh, Shane says two months into the new season and I've already grown tired of the Haaland narrative sports washing works like mm. come on lie back and feel the sports washing wash over you because that's what's happening like yeah, you forget it. As we said the other morning, you forget it with Man City. Uh, with Newcastle, it's obvious. With PSG, it's obvious. Um, but when we talk about City, we never mention the Qataris, which which we which we should, you know. <laughs> well, I, I missed the football last night. I was at a, a debate, and the debate was uh, this house would boycott the World Cup. And um, well, oh, what do you think? Yeah, what well, you- as in boycott it, as in not watch it. Um, um, it was to be to be decided. You get to pick, right? You see, it's an awkward one for football fans because, like, what do you, what do you do? Like, it, the games are being shown on TV. The TV uh, stations are, do, are are showing it. It's almost like it's like the the climate discussion. You know, you feel like you're doing nothing. You know, oh, I'm not going to get that flight, but, but that's a very small thing. The flight's going to go anyway. The World Cup's going to happen anyway without us. Do we watch it? Do we feel bad about watching it? 
Should we not feel bad about watching it? Um, at least we're talking about it and the horrific human rights abuses and, and mentioning them and highlighting them. Maybe that's not enough. Maybe we should be doing more and, and, and boycotting it in en masse. Uh, but you, you kind of need the, the organisations, the footballing organisations around the world to, to be, like the, the national organisations to be doing something about this because it's it's not really up for me and you and Joe Soap at home watching to to do this. But it, yeah, it, our own personal morality is is influenced by what we do. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of that, like a little bit of that is us saying, well, actually, it's somebody else's job to fix this. And so always with anything, with any protest movement, it's like, well, what can I do as an individual? All you can do as an individual is try and get more people to be aware and rally behind and then try and get some moral authority when it comes to talking about it. Yeah. Like everybody's a hypocrite if you drill down at some point in all of our lives on all points, really. There's very few individuals who are entirely consistent the whole way through. Yeah following whatever it is that they, they do. So when it comes to this, like the sports washing, you know, the what aboutery kicks in immediately. Well, what about America's mm. uh, human rights? What about America's doping? What about blah, 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 blah. And uh, you're like, well, they're all, you know, pretty good points. Like, Where does uh, it end? Well, um, the illegal invasion of Iraq has led to the situation in the Middle East that is like it has bred al-Qaeda it's like you know uh, it, it's very easy to trace everything back to a point where like at that point you do nothing yeah right? and you, you take no stand but they're sports fans definitely have way more power than they think mm. if you consider how quickly sports fans were able to bring down the European Super League or sorry postpone the European Super League uh, they do actually have power and there could be something that happens at the World Cup there could be something that makes everybody go right I, that's one side of it the other side of it is like what about um, the 1968 Olympics and the Black Power salute like what happens if what happens if Leo Messi wears rainbow laces now Messi's been sponsored of the yin yang by yeah. uh, is it Qatar or it's some some group anyway he's taken the money um, Barcelona have taken the money uh, through Qatar Airways David Beckham as we know he's taken a lot soon of to be Sir David because he queued for 15 hours Yeah, he's taken the money loads and loads and loads of money but what happens if somebody scores and reveals afterwards they're gay at the World Cup in Qatar like that'd be a massive moment yeah right? it'd be so, a culture, cultural moment yeah. so they shouldn't boycott and yeah. what you know I don't know it's a, it's a very tricky no it's a fair point a, an interesting like your teams yeah. walk off a team that's, that's either qualified already for, for a group stage or, or that's already knocked out do they walk off the pitch in protest at some point um, I can't see a team walking off when there's something at stake in a World Cup match um, but maybe yeah, maybe it does take maybe the Danes are like rope it open us they're like oh, nothing on our kit no sign from Hummel yeah. and then they're gonna like just lay down after the first game and be like yeah wow yeah, yeah. do you know I don't know it'll take someone to, to step up and, and be the and somebody the else made the excellent point that like having a bunch of journalists wandering around in Qatar it's gonna be interesting to see what they can find you know yeah. when they're away from the football not, not just reporting on the football so it's a big challenge to them to go and actually actively report about what the situation on the ground is like and um Highlight that to the rest of the world. Well, it's, it's going to be the first World Cup in a long time where there are going to, be, going to be news journalists as well as sports journalists covering it in tandem, you'd imagine. Um, because obviously there's going to be sports journalists sent over by organisations to cover solely the sport. And the same organisations where the budget allows will be sending news journalists to cover the darker side of it, which I think is the, maybe the right way to do it. Um, you know, if budget allows, a lot of these these organisations should be sending people over to kind of cover the, uh, the, the the dark, which is a very dark side, by the way, of it, because some of us don't realise how 
ingrained this goes like it's just been it's a, it's like a pop-up shop world cup where all these stadiums have just been popped up Pe- people have been dying in the creation of them as well and yeah now where was the last world cup in 2018 yeah well the russians yeah you know I know. I mean, Conor McGregor and Vladimir Putin weren't were they together at the at the World Cup? I final? think that was at the World Cup, wasn't it? Wasn't that posing together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Football follows the money. Um, yeah, it, he'd it, already taken Crimea at that point. Yeah, and football didn't give a shit, and the rest of the world were like, oh, oh, like I mean, I certainly bought the narrative, like oh, maybe the cultural exchange here is going to help all these all these foreign people coming in and talking to the nice Russians is going to teach the nice Russians how to, it's, it's all bollocks it, yeah. it doesn't work anyway 0879180180 is the WhatsApp number if you've got a view on that we'd love to hear from you you can uh, get in touch by leaving a comment on the YouTube stream and we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today here's what's coming up between now and uh, 10 o'clock this morning uh, Mark Wilson is going to join us to talk about Celtic last night not a great Celtic performance not a classic European night in Celtic's history Johnny Pilkington is going to join us at half past eight Alan Mangan is going to join us at 8.50 to talk about the state of uh, Westmead hurling and just how important a victory uh, in the club can mean for um, different clubs and what a breakthrough is actually going to mean not a bad time to be involved in Westmead hurling mm-hmm. and Israel Alatunde um, Shane has spoken to Israel about the fantastic season he's having and we'll also play out with Wednesday Night Rugby uh, a little bit later on as well uh, JP Wright says I was a season ticket holder at Salzburg when Haaland was there he was phenomenal um, yeah it, it has been this has been brewing for a little while <laughs> and uh, Ema Gov says James McCarthy played last night who was the last Irish player to play in the Champions League outfield prior are we including Champions League qualifiers that um, like uh, Irish clubs might have been in it's my, it's out, fair uh, wonder does the does the texter have an answer <clears throat> was like is this a Darren O'D is that one of those situations is that like Colum has it is he no. no, no, sorry, put you on the spot there, Colin. That's a that's a good question. That's a that's a quiz one now. James McCarthy is. It's not John O'Shea. Is Katie it? McCabe is a fair shout from him outside. Yeah, um, John O'Shea. It wouldn't be as far back as O'Shea, would it? Surely not. Maybe. Yeah, it's been. Is there anybody else at Celtic? Aidan McGeady. Yeah, McGeady. He's been, been since. There's probably someone really obvious more recently. Um, you'd miss those days. You would miss those days where you had Damien Duff lighting it up for Chelsea, Steve Finnan on the right flank for Liverpool, John O'Shea in the uh, probably playing goals or right miss back. Miss those or, days when we used to be good. Yeah, yeah back in the day. Um, but there were Irish players at least in the Championship last night lighting it up. Yeah, go on. Doing some decent, doing some decent bits. Um, Will Keane on the score sheet. Uh, I think Wigan unfortunately lost that game. However, but uh, yeah, and and I was I was chatting before the game. Preston beating um, or before the show. Preston beating West Brom one nil. Uh, Jakobsen with the goal, but if you look at the lineups uh, for Preston, especially Greg Cunningham in the defence for Preston, Alan Brown on the right flank, Robbie Brady in the centre. Robbie Brady playing midfield, it looks like. Yeah, thirty next. To, I'm, I'm on live score. It was yeah, and the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sean Maguire up front, and then um, um, Brown was replaced after sixty-eight minutes. Brady came off as well. Maguire came off, and Troy Parrott came on with five minutes uh, to play in that game. So there was a serious bit of Irish interest in that match. We have to go all the way back to Tuesday. For the last Irish player to play in the Champions League, you have the answer. Oh no, he didn't play Tuesday. No, he didn't. It's like in the previous game, two weeks ago. Two Who's weeks the answer. Ago. Sorry, I, I didn't hear it. Who was it? Matt Doherty. Ah, oh, Matt Doherty. Sure. Sorry, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Of course. I was thinking that there might be someone obvious that we hadn't. Can we? Can we, can we? Uh, Antonio uh, Conte has has. We can't change. Somebody started obviously because James McCarthy didn't start. Yeah. True. Um, 
Yeah, but uh, Jason Malumbi, by the way, I should mention, was. Oh, we're sure Matt already came off the bench two weeks ago, do we? Do we? He did, didn't he? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So Irish interest and um, the, oh. the 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 Preston. Um, the, the, if you look at the state of the championship table, sorry, look, sorry, look at the state of Preston's goal difference. They've played twelve games in the championship chair so far. They've scored four goals and they've conceded four goals. How is that humanly possible? Well, it's possible because they have a, a rake of nil-nil draws in there. Like Swansea are, are a few places ahead of them in sixth in the, in the table. They're also on zero goal difference, but I think they've scored 15, conceded 15 in the 12 games, which is more of a realistic number. But yeah, Preston are a, are a weird, weird outfit this season. With um, But they were glad to get the win, obviously, last night. Uh, with plenty of Irish interest. Jiddo's Yogbenya played 90 minutes as well for Rotherham against Millwall. Um, there was some Irish interest. Troy Parrott didn't start. Came off the bench for Came off the Preston. bench for Preston, yeah. Um, Sonny Maguire's getting in ahead of him. Yeah. Interesting that. Uh, Not great for Troy. <coughs> shows the packing order at the club. Jason Malumbi and Darrow Shea were on the pitch as well, starting for, for West Brom in that game. So yeah. Malumbi was only off the bench last at the weekend, so that's good that he's back starting. Yeah, yeah. at least there's some, some Irish players getting some proper game time in the championship. And of course, Jeff Hendrick the night before with his first goal for Reading, so decent. Um, Ronaldo, obviously, uh, is in the papers today again because Eric Ten Hag mentioned him in response to a question, and this is how it works. Mm. Uh, Ten Hag said he's pissed off that he's not playing and so therefore all the papers are talking about it. I'll give you the headlines in just a second. But um, in stark contrast, uh, Lionel Messi last night, oh. as we said, scored a great goal. The stat came through. Um, Kathleen had this pre, pre-show. pre uh, Benfica last night was the 40th different club <laughs> that he has scored against in the Champions League. That's ridiculous. That is just ridiculous. You better go and see him fast, Shane. I know, I know. I need to take no, him off the list. Time is passing and running and running and passing. You the better get it right this time. The other stat that they, they popped up last night in BT was Haaland the, score, the quickest to score uh, this amount of goals in the Champions League since, um, I think, like that. even Ronaldo, Messi, they were all like 106 games to get to this point. He's just, he's breaking all records all around him. It's, it's actually scandalous what he's doing, so... We'll uh, run out of superlatives pretty quickly. The Irish Times, Hart's error proves costly as Celtic slumped to defeat in Leipzig. What did Joe Hart do? Well, basically, it was a pass out from the back that uh, well, th- th- I thought at the time he shouldn't have given uh, for, for one of the, the Leipzig goals. But he said in the interview afterwards, he was like, well, that's the, that's the way we're told to play. Play out from the back. That's the um, way we're told to play. It's not my fault. Yeah, was, was, was there a bit of that? For, for half a second, he was, he was, it sounded like that. And then he said, well, it was, it was a bad pass as well. He was a bit tetchy in the in post-match interview. I have to say, fair play to, to Hart for at least fronting up and, and coming out in front of the press. But um, yeah, he, he didn't cover himself in glory and keep their chances of progressing alive we will see but um, yeah decent decent uh, result for Leipzig there's match previews of um, Shamrock Rovers at Malda tonight uh, in all the papers the assembled Irish soccer journalists are over in Norway uh, Rovers face daunting task as they enter Solskjaer's Malda then is um, the headline on the Irish Times and uh, the similar ones across all the papers today so we'll be talking about that um, flying form Aubameyang Aubameyang you know uh, everything's going good Aubameyang is good. Yeah. Everything's going bad. Do you want to Aubameyang in the trenches? I'm not so sure. But, you know, things are good. Potter, as you said, the Neil Trey man. Everything's working out. We haven't talked about this yet. Ben versus Eubank thrown into chaos by drug test. Uh, so they had to do an explainer on the fertility drug that has shown up in the VADA samples. Clomiphene, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, if, if, if a sports person tells us that they're clean, we should just leave it at that. Why can't we just... Why can't we just trust people anymore? What happened to us that made us so cynical? Yeah. He says he's clean. The other tests are clean. He must be clean. He, he came out... Like, it's not like you can do damage to another human being in the ring. He can't. No, like, of course. That's the, that's, the, that's the scary thing about this. Tiddly winks. Yeah. It's, uh, it really highlights the, the, 
disgusting nature of professional boxing if this fight does go ahead uh, like really interested to hear Conor Ben and Eddie Hearn at the open sparring session they had yesterday after this news came out and Ben's language was he came out swinging in some ways but his language was, was very interesting he was like I haven't failed a test which so far is, is untrue you, you did fail a test your, your A sample was positive for, for clomiphene um, he says I'm not suspended that's true fair yeah, enough yeah yeah uh, so he was using all these uh, kind of phrases that Eddie Hearn obviously maybe planted as the, the PR guy in the background uh, for him to say but this fight you'd be worried even if the British Boxing Board of Control decides to pull the plug they have other avenues as Gavin Casey said in the show last night the Luxembourg Board of Control might decide to throw their weight behind it or any other country's Boxing Board of Control to, to let, let the fight go ahead a lot of people stand to lose a lot of money if this fight doesn't go ahead as planned on Saturday night in the O2 Arena so um, you can see why like even Eubank Jr. was quite happy he said for, for the fight to go ahead and accepted that the Clomiphene wasn't taken for performance enhancing reasons quote unquote so um, yeah you'd, you'd raise eyebrows with that because obviously they want this fight to go ahead for for more than just boxing reasons there's a lot of money at stake here too So somebody on Twitter found an amazing clip of uh, Eddie Hearn saying what's the point in doing drug testing if when somebody tests positive you're just going to let the fight go ahead and say the test didn't matter anyway yeah and, and it was but it's, it's a good point it was through the voluntary um, testing scheme that, that caught the, the positive sample from Conor Ben which apparently cost them £30,000 to do to, 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 to do before a big fight so yeah. what's the point in paying the 30 grand if you're not going to listen to their and it, results he was specifically talking about VAD as well this is the best one in the world as far as I'm concerned yeah. if they find you guilty you're guilty and now it's like well you know the British Boxing Board of Control tests of uh, found a medicine so look uh, you'd have to say that there's a lot of money at stake for the uh, people concerned and so therefore you would expect the fight to go ahead even if it's not sanctioned well, right? where's, where's this B sample let's let's have a look at the B sample we all know that the B sample in many cases over the years the B sample is the same as the A sample so uh, maybe that's why they don't want to release it before the fight because obviously that, that would kind of rubber stamp the the fact that this yes very much is a positive positive case of, of clomiphene and that would Probably cancel the fight regardless ahead of Saturday. So maybe it's as you say, like it's 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 too close to the fight. A lot of people have bought tickets. There's a lot of vested interest in this. There's a lot of money riding on it. But uh, as you say, two human beings are going to get into a ring and punch each other in the head. Um, and if one of them is taking a performance enhancing drug, then um, that's a concern, and the fight should not go ahead. Uh, Aubameyang will revert to type eventually says uh, 20 years ago uh, Martin Farry says Killian Sheridan lads played in the Champions League a few years uh, back yeah. Eamon Madden's not having me saying that City are the most watched club in the world uh, Jared, well, they're going to play in like all the big games all season long so like all the Man United fans are going to watch Man City because they're going to watch that game all the Liverpool fans are going to watch Man City because they're going to watch that game all of the Real Madrid and Barcelona fans when they end up playing in the Champions League quarters, semis and finals, like they're going to be in the biggest games all season long as they have been for many of the last number of years. They might not have the biggest fan base, but they're in all of the biggest games. Like, yeah. Okay, and if they're, if the viewing figures for Manchester City will be like slightly behind one of the other big clubs in the world, but they're pretty close to it this stage. He's going to be able to become globally famous. I mean, I'm talking against myself here about not having to play in a World Cup, but it will be good. And get to Hollywood. Good. Get to Hollywood, yeah. Um, I should mention as well this morning, Ger, the I have a clip to, to bring people of um, my excursion. I mentioned it last week as well on the show to uh, Mondello Park. First time to Mondello Park. Did you feel it in your arse? I did feel it in my arse. You, you can absolutely feel like Jess, just for anybody who's uh, you know wondering where my question came from Jess McFadden was on the show last week yeah. she was driving a Formula 4 as well yeah, 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 yeah. she was driving though 
She was sorry, yeah, 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 of course. She was driving and she said that um, the drivers explain in Formula One when you're accelerating that you feel it in your arse. <laughs> she didn't say that. She was very polite. Yes. Now, mine was a, it was a, it was a Porsche Cayman. <clears throat> um, lovely car. Not What's quite that? as fast as a... As a Formula Four car, well, it's just one of the road, road cars essentially, but not exactly built for speed. But it's a very like it's a fast car. That's what that was Alex Dunn's words. Ah, yeah, it's not as you know, it's not built for speed. But. Just explain who Alex Dunn is again. So Alex Dunn is a Formula Four driver from Clonbelogue in Cardiopoli. He's sixteen years of age. He doesn't actually have a license yet. Doesn't have a driving license. Um, so he's he's after sewing up the British Formula Four championships. He's in the running for the Italian Formula Four championships. He's at the. Um, He's in, in Monza this weekend, uh, taking part in, in one of the races there. He's already been testing Formula 3 cars. He's been signed up to the Ferrari School of Excellence, or their academy of drivers for next year, which is which only elite kind of young drivers are, are brought into. Um, could be Ireland's next Formula 1 driver. Now, there's a lot of ifs and buts between now and then, because obviously there's finances at play. Uh, you need sponsorship, and he's kind of getting sponsorship and building a name up for himself at the minute. But a, a fantastic talent. Uh, I don't think we've had a, an Irish driver in Formula 1 since Eddie Irvine p- potentially so um, yeah <clears throat> this is a clip of me uh, the full, we'll have the full interview on, on OTBAM next week so I sat down with him after the after the interview I couldn't like we, we actually went round for a couple of laps and then the guys uh, with Alex had a GoPro set up in front of the camera or in front of the car which they hadn't turned on at the start so after the interview they came to us and said oh lads we have to go around and do a few more laps and Alex was buzzing he was so happy that he got to do a few more laps in the car Um I was a little bit nervous, but but to be honest, I, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, he, he's just one of these. His attitude, like he, I think, you have to be cocky to be a, a driver at that, at that level. And he's definitely there's a little modicum of cockiness which I which I really really like. Uh, like he was at one point, I was filming him in the car, and he said, "Can you send me those? Can you send me those videos after? I've, I've never seen myself, you know, from that angle, kind of driving cars from that angle." So he was very interested in that element of it. Uh, but yeah, this is a ninety second teaser of uh, me getting uh, dragged around Mon- Mandela Park by Alex Dunn. Uh, I don't know if you remember Michael Darren McCauley's interview after they won the All-Ireland. Unbelievable! 
Oh, well, oh. You, were, you had your Michael Dara head yeah, on you there. That was my moment. Uh, that's the Porsche Cayman. I know you're not going to be able to see that, but you can see that like, it's the classic Porsche shape. Yeah, Porsche Cayman S. Yeah, it was na- black. Named after the island, of course, that you need to have a bank account in if you can afford it. Yes, yes, for sure. And and like he was, we looked at the tyres afterwards, and there was certainly plenty of degradation on those tyres because he wasn't taking it easy. It was it, when we first pulled out, pulled, pulled off. Obviously, I, I I forgot that we were in the pit lane, and he was going pretty fast. And I was like, oh, here we go. And then he left the pit lane and obviously accelerated remarkably um, more. And I was like, oh, this is this is how fast we're going to go. Okay. And uh, obviously around the bends, I mean, is the is where it gets pretty hairy and pretty interesting. But um, an incredible talent for 16 years of age. Confidence in spades does uh, Alex don't have. And I'm going to be following his career now. I'm going to look back on that in 10 years' time when he's 26 and... And I'm old. World champion. When he's Formula One world champion, and say, yeah, he, he drove me around in a in a lovely Porsche one day. So uh, an incredible talent, and, and someone that 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 um, has the head for it. I think. I think you have to have the head for it when you're when you're a talent in in a sport like that. And, and he certainly has it. We'll play that out next week, and um, we're planning a trip back down to Mandela for all of us to do um, a little bit of. Uh fast driving ourselves anyway four minutes past eight this morning make sure that you're um, tuned into the evening show tonight they'll keep you up to date on how things are going in the World Cup playoff between Scotland and Austria uh, kickoff is at 7.35 um, and it's on in Hampden Park uh, all the narrative around this is like oh Scotland are going to get the opportunity to make amends for missing out on the Euros finally this team is reaching a peak and it'll be devastation for them if they don't make the World Cup it'll really set football back in Scotland a long way and they're like oh okay so it's going to be exactly the same as us sounds familiar doesn't it then the Austrians come along and you know party yeah. poop by just being excellent and boring yeah well Kathleen McNamee saying in the production meeting that, that um, Scotland is probably the, the result that Ireland wants marginally not just geographically speaking because it's handier to get over there but, and a bit of crack over in, in, in Glasgow for the match but Familiarity with the players, um, which is a fair point as well, I guess. A lot of these girls in the Irish team will be will be familiar with the, the Scottish players. Um, oh, there's so much riding on it. I know that the Irish team will be watching the game tonight in the Castle Knock in the hotel. If it's going to be nervy, sweaty Pam's watching the game like that tonight because no matter who you play, you know that you've got a massive, massive game in next Tuesday. Like I know, yeah, you you haven't started planning for it. I mean, I'm sure they've done some. I'm sure the research is already done. Yeah, like, yeah. For then there'll be tonight's game to go through and see whether any wrinkles in formation, any wrinkles in performance, any bookings, anybody you know uh, not playing as a result of suspension. Like definitely, we want a massive brawl. That's what we want. Six players suspended from both sides. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'd never wish injury on anyone, but a mass brawl would be. No, no, no injuries. Just a brawl. Yeah, a brawl is what you want. Um, one of those Dublin Galway events where you have people sent off in, in just Meath Mayo, large numbers. Sorry, Meath Mayo. That's the bigger one. Um, yeah. So watching that nervously tonight, be interested to see. But yeah, the game is coming around so quickly. Today is Thursday, and the game is on Tuesday. So you forget that it's it, there's all this talk about Ireland in the World Cup, and it is literally just days away now till we find out whether we're going to be there. A trip to Australia is on the cards if we manage to make it. It's uh, six minutes past eight this morning. Is Irish dancing? Is, is it a sport? Have you seen this story? We were trying to talk about. Yeah, we were talking about this in the office this morning. Um, How cheating claims are rocking the world of Irish dancing. That's the front page of the Irish Independent, and it's like pages two and three. So it's a big, big story. It's the front. It's the lead on the Mail this morning as well. Column says it's theatre. Irish dancing hit by results fixing claims. Well, if there's an outcome and there's a competition and there's athletic, it's based on athletic. Uh, teachers allegedly offered inducements to judges via text messages. Yeah, apparently there's WhatsApp messages, uh, messages allegedly that um, 
Yes, just suggest fixing competitions and fixing results and kind of swapping from competition to competition. Who's going to win what? Bizarre. Um, thoroughly bizarre. Uh, I'd also have Irish dancing, by the way, definitely done as a sport in my eyes in terms of physical endurance and endeavour. Um, um, after after the fishing world was uh, rocked by a uh, scandal at the weekend, now Irish dancing, what's next? We've had chess. Then I ask you, what's next? And chess? Yeah, yeah. We've had... Anal beads. Rumours of anal beads and chess and... Uh, the was it sexual favours inducements in this? Yeah, 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 yeah. The fish, just let weights. Yeah, yeah, a little less uh, interesting. But it's yeah, all these sports are uh, they're kind of the sports that you always thought. That, okay, we need to juice these sports up and make them a little bit sexier so we can talk about them more often. Um, pr- maybe this isn't the way to go about it. Cheating scandals, but um, yeah, it's a mad story and. Uh, by right has taken the front page of the Irish Independent because there's a lot of detail in it and a lot of they've obviously waited for, for quite some time to build up the the army of evidence um, so yeah it's a it's a strange one like <laughs> I don't know where, like where does this end I mean it's it, it seems to be widespread it's it's not just a, a one or two people kind of that these are WhatsApp groups that are literally just back and forth deciding the outcome of events which um, a school with a reputation for success can generate more in fees so right yeah so there's, there's financial comes, incentive it all comes down to the money it's always down to money isn't it um, yeah so that's that's one of the juicy stories in the paper this morning for sure uh, I don't know where it ends but it, it, it's kind of up there with the chess one for me um, the chess one was more individual it was kind of one player that was that was deemed to be doing a lot of cheating and Magnus Carlsen wasn't happy but this this is uh, this is Irish interest and seems to be on a more of a widespread scale which which adds to the intrigue as well yeah so um, I, I can't wait for the Netflix documentary about that <laughs> inevitably yeah somebody somewhere must be making a documentary about Irish dancing and thinking this is all a bit boring isn't it like there's not there's not very much here okay you know there's a little bit of rivalry and then boom all of a sudden this happens you're like wow it's yeah. going to be an Oscar yeah there, there are certain things that happen that you're like oh that's that's a documentary waiting to happen that's a that's a movie waiting to happen like remember the two girls remember off the Galway coast last year who were who were saved yeah 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 like I was thinking that's a that's a movie Damien Brown I was thinking didn't, yeah that's a movie the guy who saved them didn't he save somebody else as well wasn't he involved in there was some, oh yeah sorry yeah 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 uh, so the, the, there are certain things that happen in, in Irish culture and Irish news that you're thinking, yeah. Yeah, if this happened in a small town in America, they'd be like, you'd be all, all Hollywooded up. Well, yeah. that's the thing. Somebody <laughs> would write a story about it. Instead, they were like, ah, jeez, nobody means that. It turns out they will be. Yeah. It's nine minutes past eight. Other big managerial news. Uh, Xavi Alonso will be taking his suits to the sideline at Bayer Leverkusen. This is his first gig. Yeah, yeah. Um, Raf Hasnett will get in the sack, according to all the papers this morning. It hasn't actually happened yet, but the new owner is like, nah, not my guy. Yeah, and a uh, bit of a... Steve Cooper has a stay of execution, it seems, as well, Nottingham yeah, Forest. Yeah, you would definitely have said that Steve Cooper was about to win the sack race, but Raph hasn't he? Oh, just ducking down at the line, he goes, oh, no, it's me! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Julian Lopetegui got the sack last night as well. Yeah, from, from so City, he, yeah, he's so. available. Um, Wolves come knocking next, maybe. Well, yeah, or, like... Yeah, or Pochettino. Where, where's he going to go? Yeah. Uh, maybe he's not going to go to a super club. Maybe he wants to rebuild his reputation as somebody who can take a club and a project and, and manage it properly. And then Pork Joyce yes. is re-signing Just for three more years. Yeah, to give him three more years, of course. Uh, an absolute legend. Um, yeah, uh, it's strange. I didn't even realise that his, the contract was, was up for negotiation, but obviously there was, there was no... There was going to be no um, issues as to giving him more time at, at the helm because... I love the way he, from the outset, was like, yeah, we, we want to win the All-Ireland with Galway. There was, there's no this 
tourism in, in Galway it was just this is my plan this is what I want to achieve can they go a step further next year I don't know you look at the Dubs getting stronger Kerry have the experience now of getting over the line um, cut the kind of championship isn't getting any easier Kevin McStay is in there now to, to kind of spice things up a little bit in the kind of championship um, Ross Common still waiting for the new manager yeah well remains to be seen yeah uh, so do with the manager there lads come on get the finger <laughs> out yeah exactly so yeah fair play to Port Joyce uh, 11 minutes past 8 this morning during the ads you're going to hear a clip from All-Ireland winning Dublin footballer Lauren McGee and her father Johnny also a former dub who sat down to discuss how sport has shaped their relationship and learnings from life it's all part of Gillette Labs Passing It On series Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today we're back after the break <coughs> with the former Celtic defender Mark Wilson on another tough night in the Champions League for Ange Postacoglu's side back after this OTB AM yeah really amazing stuff there from Johnny McGee talking about his dyslexia as a child and the impact that football had on his life and both the positive and negative out there in conversation with his daughter Lauren that um, series has led to just some really really interesting conversations Michael Carruth and his daughter had a really interesting one as well it's amazing the honesty that you can have sometimes when your kids ask you questions um, so make sure you stay tuned to our social channels for the rest of that interview it's 16 minutes past 8 OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day now uh, disappointment for Celtic last night uh, Mark Wilson is with us to talk to us again Mark you're very welcome back how are you? oh good thank you thanks for having me back what happened last night do you think it, 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 it wasn't the same quality of performance that we'd seen from Celtic say uh, in the first game against Real Madrid what, what was it that was letting them down last night that they weren't able to affect their own game plan um, in the way that we've kind of come to expect them to well I think obviously when you're going into these games and you're missing big players as Celtic were last night particularly two centre-halves then you start a wee bit on the back foot now that's not to say Stephen Welsh did anything wrong I thought Jens was a, a little bit shaky in the opening exchanges and that led to Leipzig having a few clear-cut chances early on in the game I did think however that Celtic got to grips with the game in the first half and they actually took it to, to Leipzig I thought they, they played quite well up to a stage but it was the same old problems again last night for Celtic in the, in the final third where they created so many chances at that period that they were on top and they didn't take one of them. And we know, again, at this level, I sound like a, a bit of a broken record here, but at this level, if you keep missing those chances, teams will punish you if you play so open. And at that time in the game, Celtic were open. They were committing bodies forward, which is great to watch. You know, they commit midfielders and wide players into the box to try and create as many opportunities as possible. And when you do that, of course, you leave yourself wide open at the back. And that's where the counter-attack goal came from. Knocked the stuffing out of Celtic for for a wee bit, um, and they find themselves chasing the game again. I did think they got to grips with it, obviously, and then the second half they came out and start fantastically well. But the game just got away from them again, and Leipzig are a good team. Um, Celtic found it difficult, but again, it's it's the levels you go up. It's it's hard to compete at this level if you're not on top of your game. The the style of play, Mark, seems to be the big the big discussion point coming out of last night's game, and. Maybe in Europe it doesn't quite work as well as, as it does in the Scottish Premiership, but does does Ange need to have a, a different plan or a plan B? I know Jurgen Klopp, for example, changed, changed formation during the week um, in the Champions League as well. Like As you say, it leaves them open, leaves them vulnerable. On, on the flip side of that, you know, it creates a lot of chances for Celtic. They just didn't just take them last night, but is there a question to be had there over the style of play in Europe especially? I think so. I think the manager has to take some of the the responsibility for that 
Now, look, there's no getting away from the way Celtic play and what Ange Postecoglou has done for the club in terms of transformation. And it's it's exciting to watch week in, week out. It's exciting to watch the Champions League games for a neutral. That must be a joy to watch because you know you're getting goals in it. But uh, I feel there's got to be a balance there somewhere. Uh, you mentioned yourself there. Even Jurgen Klopp has changed his style. You know the top teams adapt in this competition because they know. They're coming up against the elite. They know they will get punished if, if they go gung-ho and just throw everything at other teams. They know teams are coming up against have got clever players who will exploit you. I just feel Celtic maybe haven't learned their lesson from you know last season in the Europa League. Last night was very much like, if you remember back to Betis and Bayer Leverkusen, I was watching the game thinking it's very much like that, that Celtic could go ahead and score three or four goals easily. But at the other end, you could easily see Leipzig doing the exact same. That's the way it was last season. Of course, you're stepping up and leveling the competition, which, you know, the dangers then, uh, you know, come around quicker uh, and you often get punished more. And you just wonder, you know, is he, is he going to change? Well, he says he's not for changing, but to have success in this competition, I feel there's got to be a an address somewhere, you know, of balance that you've got to kind of give your defenders the best opportunity to keep a clean sheet. So, Mark, we, we I think we've, <clears throat> we all agree, Ange has obviously got a giant football brain and uh, there's a strain of madness slash genius to him. So he, he must, maybe he's saying something publicly and thinking something differently. What what are What's his backroom staff saying to him when they're having this conversation? They know that's what they did last night didn't work and they know those other previous examples that you've you've given from last season so what are they actually thinking about long term success in this competition why why would they continue to do the same thing and expect different results it's a very good question um, look I, I played with John Kennedy who's, who's been there as Ange's right hand man from the start John of course a very good defender in his time now, I've no doubt that the backroom staff have bought into what Ange Postecoglou has done because, it's again, it's fantastic. You overwhelm teams, you play at a quick tempo. But at this level, like I keep saying, there has got to be a balance in, in how you do it. Um, so I've no doubt that, that John and Gavin Strachan, who you know will analyse things and, and probably give them uh, their idea from a defensive point of view, how things could be more solid in terms of the middle of the pitch. I, I, I think that's where the problem is at this level. That the Celtic players vacate the middle of the pitch so often and trying to create chances and trying to get bodies into the box to overwhelm the opposition does work because we've seen it against Real Madrid, we've seen it Shakhtar and, and now against Leipzig. It's just when you're left with that one holding midfielder and it's a big old pitch against athletic, quick players who quickly go past you and you're right onto a back four or a back two in some occasions because Celtic's fullbacks are so high. So, look, they're clever guys, these guys on the backroom team. Ange Postecoglou is a very smart guy, knows football inside out. And and last night in his post-match interviews, he's probably as disappointed as I've ever heard Ange uh, after a game, which maybe tells its story. I think he knows that at both ends it isn't going right because it, in these games you can... You know, you can maybe point to one area and say it didn't go well for us in that in that area of the pitch, and we need to work in that. But for Ange Postecoglou, it isn't just defending; it's the problem. 
it's in the penalty box is fine a problem. How often have we said that about Celtic domestically? Well, very little. Um, but he has to find a way in the Champions League he, of his players at the top end of the pitch, putting one of those chances away. I mean, there was 12, 12 attempts on goal last night from Celtic. Uh, an away team in the Champions League, that's good going. And they only take one of them. You put your defence under immense pressure to keep the ball at the net the other side. And you mentioned you mentioned the defensive absentees uh, there, Mark Cameron, uh, Carter Vickers being one of them. And uh, like Gordon Strachan after the match was kind of talking about you know systems don't win games; it's players that win games. And um, is that an issue as well that the, the defence just was a little bit leaky last night? Just more leaky. Like, obviously, Leipzig and Celtic both good attacking teams, but Celtic's defence uh, let them down more than the Leipzig defence did. So. Do you know, is five at the back an option for, for Ange Postacoglu or, or do you think he'll, he'll change his defensive structure in any way? No, no. He's, he's never going to go, in my opinion anyway, to five at the back. Um, <laughs> I could I could eat those words when it comes round to Leipzig next week, but I just can't see it. I mean, the amount of work he's put into this side with the, the back four and the inverted full-backs. You've seen it last night. I mean, it's how the second goal, I suppose, against him came about that Greg Taylor goes into that inside pocket Joe Hart, I mean, Gordon Strachan, of course, is right. As players that won and lose your matches, Joe Hart doesn't need to play that pass to Greg Taylor. He could go to Jens and, and everything's, you know, ticking along fine. So I don't think he'll change. I do think the players that are missing for Celtic are, are big players. I mean, I think you can get away with missing some players or one or two here and there. But it's starting to affect the spine of the team when you look at. Joe Hart making the mistake last night and looking at the weekend the goal against Motherwell I know Juranovic scores on goal but I would blame Hart as much as anybody for that um, you take out Carter Vickers and Starfield there's your first two centre choice centre halves Cal McGregor has suffered an injury that Ange Postecoglou says it doesn't look good now that's a major concern and in European competition your front men through the middle aren't scoring so this competition heavily relies on the, the spine of your team and it's, uh, it's a bit shaky at the minute for Celtic Is this all just part of the learning process <clears throat> for the players and the team and for Ange as well in that like you know listen to you talk about this it, it does sound like from a philosophical perspective they are creating a lot of chances if they were to increase the performance level by 10 or 15% and a couple of those were to go in suddenly the game is really different like the psychology of the game is different Leipzig are under the cosh at home even though they they have a lot of the ball and they're attacking but they've actually conceded two or three goals it's, it's a completely different um, outcome or it's certainly a, a different outcome is on the cards um, and we're all talking about this and wow how brave Celtic were to go to Leipzig and, and stick to their principles um, is Ange thinking like if I have a slightly deeper squad next season and, and perhaps find a goalkeeper who's more reliable that the right thing to do is to stick with this and they look back on these as like okay that was the, the learning curve it was very steep and we got through it or is the other side like you change things and adapt and you 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 know you drag Leipzig into a, a nil all and suddenly you're still in the group but it doesn't feel as good because you know you're you're going away from your what your principles are and what you think you're working on week in week out on the training pitch yeah well I, I don't think he's ever going to change his principles in that respect I don't think he's ever going to go anywhere and try and play for a nil-nil draw. I think he's made that quite clear. As soon as he came in, Ange Postecoglou's first press conference, he said he was going to play football that got the fans off their seat, and he, he's certainly done that. Um, 
look, there, there was question marks going into this campaign and the Champions League, when especially when the group was drawn, if he was going to change those principles then. Well, he's shown he's, he's not going to. So, um, you mentioned about the goalkeeper. Look, Joe Hart is a reliable goalkeeper. I think he's been excellent since he's came to Celtic. He will make mistakes. Um, but at this level, those mistakes get punished. I mean, if that's if that's back home in the Premiership, would that would any player have the ability to play that pass first time and then the finish was very good? I don't know. But um, I think one thing's for sure is the, the, look, the players will get better at this level. Got to remember that this is our first campaign at this level. Um, some of them, you know, just getting used to Ange Postecoglou's style of play still. So they will get better um, if Celtic can qualify again for the Champions League next year. I do believe that there'll be a better outfit. I mean, look, we're, we're chatting like they're, they're done and dusted. Got two huge games coming up that they could uh, could easily swing this group, and things look a whole lot different in the two home games coming up. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see why he would stick with principles. Yeah, well, he's come this far, I guess, uh, and they're exciting games to watch. Like, I, I don't really want to lay blame at anyone in particular necessarily, Mark. But as a right back yourself, you probably have a, a good. Um, uh, scope on this and, and Juranovic sometimes last night at right back you, you almost feel like he's, he's ball watching at times like is is that a concern has, has he been has he been an issue over over the last number of games for Celtic is, is, is it an issue going forward do you think or is it just he had a bad game I guess I don't think so um, no I, listen I watched last night Juranovic going forward I, I thought he was excellent funny enough going forward I thought the pace that he shows and, and the drive that he's got really takes Celtic up the pitch. Um, defensively, I know he scored an own goal at the weekend, but he also, you know, he also hit the, the crossbar with an outstanding free kick. Um, no, nah, listen, I can't see it with Juranovic. I think he's one of the more steady and reliable performers. Um, so I don't think they've got an issue in that respect. Sometimes you... think perhaps maybe he could get a hand for his wide guys, but I'm supposed to go plays his, his wide guys so high and and far up the pitch it's difficult I mean <laughs> I don't know how much I would have liked that as a full back if uh, say Nakamura stood in the halfway line and allowed me to, to tackle you know Ronaldo or Ronaldinho or whoever else I was playing myself I would I'd kind of be thinking is there any chance you're coming back and help me so he's got a tough old job it's a tough gig by the way for the Celtic full backs Greg Taylor on the other side you see him battling away he's reformed his Celtic career so but collectively, it's um, it's a disappointment for Celtic last night. There's no doubt about that. But um, I believe these two games coming up. Look, uh, if they play with that intensity at Celtic Park that they did in the first half against Real Madrid, I think they will take three points against Leipzig. And then it, it comes down to that game against Shakhtar um, two or three weeks later. It was interesting to listen to, to Joe Hart after the match as well, Mark, where he kind of, he fronted up, at least he came out in front of the, the media after his mistake during the game, but he, he referenced, you know, it was just a bad pass from him and he held his hands up on that and look, Leipzig were, were pressing with, with three men as well, which made it difficult for him to get that, that pass right, but he did say, you know, that's the way the manager wants us to play and, and you know, Ange wants Joe Hart to play out from the back. So, yeah, you know, it does lead to mistakes, but at the, but at the end of the day, you can't really blame... Ange for an individual mistake no well look, I, I listened to those comments as well Joe was quick to say you know I'll front up it's, it's my fault but that's the way the manager wants us to play <laughs> I, I did have a wee chuckle at that because I mean if it's Cal McGregor trying to make that pass into Greg Taylor 
I don't even know if he makes it because it's that tight. So, <clears> you know, it's an individual decision on the day. Joe, Joe obviously tried to thread the ball through it, the eye of a needle. I was never on. Got to give credit to Leipzig because when you see the way they front three press, they understand that Celtic want to play that way. Like football's football's went a different way since I actually played it. I can never imagine playing that way. But these players are well drilled in it. You know, they're told that's the way to play. They're, they're given the certain rotations and movements. It's about execution on the night and mistakes happen. And Joe, unfortunately for Celtic, made a mistake at a crucial time. You know, especially after that goal was ruled out. And I thought Celtic were lucky in that respect. So it probably was just about steadying the ship at that time. You know, seeing it the next couple of minutes. And you probably expect someone with experience of Joe Hart um, not to make an error like that just at that time. You know, the cameras were still on the Celtic fans actually celebrating yeah. the goal being disallowed. And then, you know, as it, quick as you know it, they're, they're behind and the game's running away from them. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> definitely. Uh, he'd want that one back. But it is all obviously then set up for uh, a magical European night under lights next week in Parkhead. Great to have you with us again, Mark. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thank you. It's uh, Mark Wilson, uh, former Celtic defender. Obviously, you can hear him on Super Scoreboard on Radio Clyde as well. Now, all this week, we've got a fantastic opportunity to combine sports and leisure with a visit to L.A. on America's West Coast. You and two friends could be jetting off with multi-award winning Cassidy Travel on direct flights from Dublin with Aer Lingus on the 1st of December to spend four nights in the four-star hotel. It's called The Wayfarer. It's in downtown Los Angeles, and you can take in the L.A. Rams against the Seattle Seahawks as it stands all the teams in the NFC West have two wins each. Everybody's two and two. So uh, there's no doubt that this game will actually be meaningful in terms of the outcome for who's going to the playoffs. So to be in with a hat for this great prize, just follow at Cassidy Travel on Twitter and retweet our competition post. It's all with thanks to Cassidy Travel, your one-stop sports travel shop. Sports and travel, a perfect match. You can visit CassidyTravel.ie for more. Take in the game. Do some Christmas shopping in Los Angeles. It's not a bad trip. Um, the Celtic point, right? It, like... I get the point you're making about make the change. It's good enough for Jurgen Klopp. Mm. Klopp's in a mad crisis, though. Like his team aren't performing at the same level. Whereas, like Celtic are still performing at the level in the league that they should be, and they're still evolving. So, if you start suddenly saying, "Well, actually, look, we really believe this. Everything is is, is organised to do this one thing. This is who we are. This is our identity." Except this week, we're going to be somebody entirely different. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, and Mark's probably right, and to a, to a degree, I guess, and being devil's advocate in that, like I probably don't think Anne should change should, should change style. And the reality is, like as discussed after the match last night, like Celtic had so many chances last night for goals, so they're they're creating the chances, um, and they still had positives. I mean, Jota was a positive, Kyogo was a positive for them last night. And we shouldn't forget that. So it's not it, it is all to play for in the next couple of games and it is Leipzig at home it's then Shakhtar Donetsk at home if they can get even four points from those games they're looking a little bit better um, maybe the home atmosphere at Sally Park can change things and I, and I honestly I don't think he would change style at home anyway now maybe you go to the Bernabeu in the last game needing something and, and if you want you can kind of change things and, and narrow, narrow it down and, and, and break Real down if you can but ah. I mean at that stage they'll already be qualified well, to yeah. hope that they're resting players True, and then you just have to go and attack yeah, yeah, and Real won again last night, which is which is good for the the rest of the teams in the group. At least then Real can run away with the group and fight it out for second place. The rest of them, so yeah, Ange is, is probably not going to. Also, do you want to feel alive, or do you want to like go and scratch your way to like? What's the point of that? Yeah, in, in the long term, like Celtic weren't going to suddenly 
play Champions League football this season and be really good. Yeah, it just true. wasn't going to happen. And they're brilliant to watch. They're brilliant to watch at the minute. Uh, sorry, really successful. It wasn't going to automatically be okay. We can now just coast our way through a group which has Real Madrid and Leverkusen in it. And, and they're more successful than than Ra- like Rangers haven't scored a goal in the Champions League in twelve years. So, so that's important. So that, that, that's important. That's all well. that matters. Well, at least you know Celtic put up. Um, Celtic, you know, Rangers were brilliant in the Europa League last year. But when it comes to the Champions League, Celtic can put, on, put, put in good performances in the group and. So if they can just get a win next week against Leipzig, yeah. it is all blever. It's 8.35 now. Spend the night in the company of hurling legends Anthony Daly, Eddie Brennan, Brendan Marr and Dan Shanahan. As well as other sporting icons like Mickey Hart and Barry Garrity as Bird GAA Club presents Reeling in the Hurling Years on Thursday, the 13th of October. So it's this day next week in the County Arms Hotel. Throw-in is at half past seven. It's going to be emceed by Dara Maloney. It promises to be a great night's entertainment as our star-studded panel go through their glittering careers and regale the audience with untold stories from the past. There's also going to be a special edition of A Question of Sport on the night that can't be missed with all funds raised going towards the big redevelopment work in St. Brendan's Park. Limited tickets are €20 each. They're on sale through Eventbrite or you can contact Michael Verney on Twitter. For more information, it's at MLVerney. And to talk about the event and much more, I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by Offaly legend Johnny Pilkington. Johnny, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, lads. Not too bad. I'm good for him, yeah. I'm sure um, uh, nights like uh, reeling in the hurling years, not bad crack, I'd say. Yeah, listen, we're looking forward to it and uh, there's a lot of good characters there that are in it that uh, maybe hurling might take the back seat and... Uh, the other tales that weren't let out in, in, in the 90s will come to the fore and uh, it should be a long and enjoyable night. Yeah, before we get to any of that, I do want to ask you about your own coaching career at the moment because you're involved with the underage setup in Offaly at uh, inter-county level, is that right? Yeah, listen, I was brought in as a, as a selector there with the Offaly Miners there this year. Um, listen, it was a marvellous, successful year, so it was. Uh, prior to that, I've been involved, I've done the club circuit and that, but like this year was a very special year for us. Um, very special bunch of lads and, a lo- uh, you know, it, 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 there's a great uh, outlook for Offaly Ireland coming from these lads and, and other lads that are coming from through in the last two or three years. Did, did this crew, did you know they were good? Like, had they had a good Tony Forrest or something? Did the whole county think, geez, there's something here? Well, uh, you know, I hadn't a clue about any of the lads when I was brought in. I was involved there last year with kind of the under-16, maybe in October or November, this time of the year. A friend of mine just asked me, listen, kind of come along. And then Leo asked me to come in. I hadn't a clue about them. They were talking about, listen, the last Tony Forrest till final to Tipperary, actually. Right. Uh, and, um, I, you know, I just dismissed that because under 14 just to make any difference to me at under 17 or, or minor level but I would have to say we played Tipperary in a challenge match in probably February and this was the, the moment that I just turned around and said and I said to the lads listen lads we're just we're in, we're in this to win the All-Ireland you could see the enthusiasm the, the, the work rate and you know even on that night it caught Tipperary off, uh, off or by surprise it caught them off guard and I think really from that night on, you know, things just kind of grew and they got, they just played their own game and uh, they were marvellous from then on. Uh, obviously, they end up being having their hearts broken by tipping in the All-Ireland final in relatively controversial circumstances. Uh, I don't know if you make peace with that uh, defeat like that ever as a mentor, because like for the rest of your life, there's always a what if and, and what have you. Like, 
I know that's incredibly difficult. Is there any part of your brain that's thinking, okay, we have to just use this now as fuel for the fire over the next couple of years to get as many of them through to the under-21 level and to get as many of them through to senior level? Yeah, no, the, the gas thing about it is that Dan Ravenhill, the captain, he asked me just straight after uh, the uh, the final, he says, uh, did this ever happen to you, you know? And I had to think for a while, and I said, well, listen, we lost uh, an under-21 uh, All-Ireland final, and then, of course, we lost the big one, 95 as well. Um, so, you know, I have no problems with Tipperary getting the last-minute goal. There were things within our control that we that we slipped up on there was things without our, outside our control that we couldn't do anything about and it really just when it kind of comes down to everything mixture of everything uh it's just the name was on Tipperary's cup uh it was the cup was our uh, Tipperary's name was on the cup but saying all that i mean the, the big thing i get out of it is that these lads they had a phenomenal year in terms of you played in in, in an under 17 or a minor final in front of 27,000 people in Nolan Park against Tipperary. They played in Port Leash where, you know, the match was delayed. Again, the crowds were there. There was maybe 20,000 at that. That was unheard of. It's, it's unnatural. And these lads, on each and every occasion, they stood up and, and they played the game and, and, and they performed. So, you know, from here on in, listen, Park, we lost but we were part of a marvelous, um, uh, marvelous experience, which we were ourselves in in 1989 when when uh, Tipperary uh, won the under 21. Another fabulous occasion. So, yeah, just you know, just loved the the fact that you were part of that. I know that Tipperary rivalry is fairly fairly fresh down in your neck of the woods there as well, Johnny. No doubt, and um, like you, you referenced '89, '87 was another one in minor level as well, where like when Jer talks about letting go of defeats like that, I know. Uh, wasn't it Connell Bonner, I think, who, one of your former UCD colleagues, probably wasn't able to let that defeat for Tipperary go for quite some time? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've told this story before. Like, I mean, after that match, I mean, that game could have gone either way. You know, we just happened to get a goal with about five or ten minutes to go, and that got us over the line. Uh, but I met Bonner there after the match, and he was, I didn't know him, and he was sitting beside him, and all through the senior match of the, of the All-Ireland, he was going on about... Oh, how did you beat us? How did you beat us? And I met him then in UCD a few years later. Oh, how did you beat us in this game? And then I met him on holidays five years ago. I, you know, I was like, he says, still going on about the 87, you know? So, yeah, Connell had a problem with it all, right? But, uh, you know, it was, listen, great rivalry. We're talking here with uh, Johnny Pilkington, and the, the reason about this is because there's a, a night coming up. Uh, Michael Verney has organised. It's called Reeling in the Hurling Years. It's on, on Thursday, the 13th of October, at the County Arms Hotel in Burr and you can get details of it uh, it's on Eventbrite or you can also get details on it from Michael Verney at ML Verney on Twitter Brenda Marr Barry Garrity Mickey Hart Sarah Farrell Michael Dignan Johnny Pilkington of course Dan Shanahan Eddie Brennan Anthony Daly and Brian Wheelahan with uh, as I said Darren Maloney on the night as well so um, it's going to be a decent night's entertainment and as I said all the money is going to the big redevelopment work in St. Brendan's Park Um Johnny, I'm really interested in your decision to get back involved with the county. Like, was it easy enough? Where, where you said you'd done the the rounds in the club scene. Is it is it kind of? Do you feel like it's time to get involved at county level? No, it's just an opportunity that that arose. I mean, I was uh, I would have to say that I'm kind of I was 
I'd done a 10 or 12 years of coaching between different clubs, our own club, and I've been heavily involved with our underage here in, in, in Borough as well, at under 8s and 10s, and basically it's my kids are involved, so you get involved with the team. And I was really kind of just fed up and, and, and just kind of maybe burnt out from it. And I was intentionally going to kind of say, well, listen, I'm going to park that maybe for a while and see it. But Leo met me and uh, he asked me, you know, would I get involved with the, with the minors? And I didn't really have any intentions, but it's amazing the way things work out. He, he just said to me, listen, I'll give you a, a shout on, on the Monday. Uh, you know, this was a Friday or Saturday or something. And as it turned out, I think there was a bereavement on his side of things and he never came back to me for a week, you know. So what I said to Leo then, I said, listen, Leo, you know, it gave me a lot of time to think. And we looked at the fixtures there with Offaly and that and said, well, listen, the chances this could be over in March, April and, you know, definitely be over by the end of May. So it's only a six month thing. So, um so that was my decision. He gave me that time to think about it. And I said, yeah, listen, we'll go for it. Now, I have to say that once I went in there, I mean, I, I don't really do an awful lot. So I don't, I kind of go in and talk to lads and, you know, as a selector does, like Huey Annan is our hurling coach. He's doing all the work. Leo's doing all the work in behind the scenes and that. So, and we have our county board liaison officer, Martin Cashin. So to me, it was just kind of rocking up to, to training, having a look at training and then just saying, listen, this lad's going well or that lad's going well. But I have to say, I really enjoyed it. And I, again, it was easy. It was easy for us because this bunch of lads just kind of drove it on themselves. I mean, they set the standard and we'd have to give it them, a, you know, we'd have to kind of give them a little bit of a slap every now and again just to kind of keep that effort up and that. So uh, that was really my role. I suppose they did, on occasions, we did draw on uh, on my experiences. And I suppose one of the remarkable ones was on the morning of the All-Ireland we we were leaving from the fateful fields and I said, listen, I'm going to bring them into the room in, in the fateful fields. And in the room, you have the pictures of all the Offaly uh, winning teams. And I went through each and Offaly winning team and I went through the 82 football and or the 81 hurling and the 82 football and, you know, the 94 team and the 86. I finished up, I think, with the 86 minor team or whatever. And on each occasion, you know, Offaly had won by a last minute goal or had a big comeback, you know. So my inspirational speech actually backfired on me. <laughs> we were rocked by our own medicine, I suppose, was the, was the thing, so. I don't think they'll be asking me to do it again. <laughs> At least you tried, Johnny. At least you tried. We did. We did. Yeah. We tried. We tried. The, uh, like, I remember, like even you speaking before the before that um, minor final last year, and I think like you were referencing the, I guess the decreasing standard of of the club game in Offaly and how that's probably linked to the to the lack of success at intercounty level. I think the word you used to describe Offaly intercounty hurling over the last twenty years was was dismal. Like, what's your what's your feeling on on where Offaly is at the moment? Um, you know, Johnny Kelly is, has, has a three year stint. Um, and I've, I just have a feeling that it may be in three years time. I don't think we will be too much further on. Um, just for the, just for the, the, the thing that the work rate, the enthusiasm and that over the last three and four years on the field, that, that tracking back, that kind of simple stuff hasn't been there to the level that's required. Now, I will, you know, I don't want to go on about the minors, you know, I was saying, but this is what they brought to the game. And it wasn't, 
I, you know, we have had a lot, lot of, of fabulous hurlers down through the years that are great ball players. But it's what players do off the ball and and what they do and where they're positioned, and that's that was the key, and that has been lacking enoughly. That we've been great when we're on the ball, but we're not so good off it. So. It's going to be tough for Johnny Kelly to try and bring in that kind of uh, closing down, that work rate to put pressure on the opposition and uh, to the to the level that it needs to be at. So I think, you know, what Johnny can do is maybe set a standard there for the next three years. And with these minors and these under-20s that are coming on, there's two or three that, um, that they, they'll inspire to kind of do more of the raw material on the field, more so than the, than the you know the, the the lovely strike, the lovely point, the lovely ball playing. So, it's it's I think it's going to be a stagnant maybe three years. Um, obviously, Johnny will want to uh, you know we're looking to get out of the Joe McDonough. We're under no illusions here that we're capable of getting out of the Joe McDonough. How capable we are of sitting at the the top table for a long period of time is that's another question. Now we do have confidence in these young lads, but as you know, young lads, you know, two or three of these could go, and that could disperse the whole lot. Yeah, it, it really is a very tenuous thing. Like you, you need another minor team and another minor team, and you know that's the way that the you can build on those foundations. I did want to. You mentioned the crowds at the game, right? A big controversy yeah. about um, on an Ireland final day, there's no minor crowd, and so everybody doesn't get in early. But I don't know, I don't know, would you trade a full house at Nolan Park for a tinny, empty Croke Park with the Seagulls or the soundtrack to the All Ireland minor final? Which would you prefer, having experienced both now? Uh, well, um, yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I, I would have naturally have said, "Listen, give me Nolan Park there all day," you know. Uh, but the thing about it is that Offaly were in Nolan Park, and Offaly brought a huge crowd to Nolan Park, and Tipperary, uh, you know, um, came there as well. So it's you know the minor final isn't going to be played in front of twenty seven thousand every year. It's you know if you were the Cork. Kilkenny, Tipperary, Galway kind of game, there's probably going to be five or 6,000 at it. So in that, you know, you could turn around and say, listen, play it before um, an All-Ireland final. But from in terms of atmosphere, if you can get the crowds there, if you, you know, it's, I think it's, it's, it's probably better, better atmosphere in terms of even if you can get 10,000 into a Port Leash or in, into Nolan Park, it's a hell of a lot better than, uh, you know, the 10,000 on, on uh, you know, at the start in, in Crow Park. Saying all that, All Ireland final day, the senior day is a very, very big day, and it that would heighten, you know, that gives you a, a greater sense that you're part of that whole day, and it's a it's a special feeling as well. Um, you know, the majority of people will actually come in, but you'll get that last twenty minutes there, and if the match is tight, which it had been in a few of our minor finals, you know, all of a sudden the crowd are are standing up and they're looking, and the neutrals maybe are cheering for the underdog, so it has its own kind of um, atmosphere there as well. Okay, so you're definitely on the fence there with that one. We're on the fence, yeah. yeah, yeah fair yeah, enough. Yeah. Maybe we need another few years to make our mind up entirely about it. Just the point you made as well about the the season being so short from a minor perspective, it does feel like it's maybe better for the kids at under 17 to be able to go back and have the rest of their school year and their summer off or to, to go back and play with the clubs as opposed to sticking all the way through to September and 
never quite getting the release that um, you know your team might have had. Uh, one last thing, then the under seventeen age grade, grade is it is that working or is that because there's definitely a lot of uh, chatter that maybe the under seventeen is, is isn't really the right age and that actually under eighteen we should go back to that. What's your view on that? Um, again, I think it, it, there isn't too much talk. Uh, well, not too much talk, but obviously the talk is there. I don't see an awful difference. Um, uh, in whether you go to 17 or 18. My understanding was we went to the 18 uh, or came down to the 17 to avoid uh, kind of the leaving cert, which, you know, is is, is a fairly good idea. Um, whether it goes up to 18 or not, I, I, I don't see it making that much of a difference, really, um, the different age groups and that. Uh, there is obviously, you know, once you go on to 18, you're a year ahead, you're here in terms of development and that. I don't think it makes an awful lot of difference, really, because, you know, at 17 or 18 or 18 coming up in, into the senior ranks, and I think this is the issue more probably than, than the minor grade being 17 or 18, is that is the 17-year-old playing under 20? And uh, there's a three-year difference there or whatever, but and different stages of life. So maybe maybe that's an issue in terms of, listen, let's get them a little bit more bigger uh, that, you know, in terms of naturally bigger and as well as the, the, the strength and conditioning to be able for, for that level. But to be honest with you, I didn't see anything this year in terms of a 17-year-old age group versus our minor time in, in, in our time. Okay. Can I just ask you, Johnny, um, I think you're like... I was thinking back to different Lake Regale episodes when, when, when uh, a few months ago when Desi Farrell announced that, that uh, you know, Mannion and McCaffrey were coming back into the, the Dublin setup and, and he so nonchalantly kind of dropped it into a, to an interview and that, look, that's his prerogative. I'm not saying Desi doesn't have a personality. I'm just saying that that's, I guess, the way that things have been done in Dublin the last few years. It, it struck me, there was, there was a line, um, and I think it was around your own Lake Regale episode where, where Michael Moynihan in, in the Irish Examiner um, talked about yourself and personalities in the GA and he said... You were the last free spirit before the erosion of personality. Like, do you think personalities are, are something missing from the game at the moment? Like, we see a lot of Sherlockets in in interviews, and, and and we're kind of missing that little bit of a spark that maybe we used to have, and you certainly brought to the table back in the day. Yeah, well, that kind of spark is probably what you refer back to now as immaturity. In so it was. But I suppose, yeah, managers now they have a, a range on on the thing, and it's a pity. Um, there's definitely, you know, I mean, I, you, there's definitely characters within the game that we don't seem to be, um, they don't seem to be getting out of it. And, you know, we know those characters are there, you know. I mean, I suppose the Kilkenny team of, of, of the 2000s and a marvellous team, and it was, but it was all the same mantra, you know. They were, they were afraid, you know, that if they didn't go train and listen, they wouldn't get into team and all that. Um, and you know that's that's grand coming from someone on the fringes, but when your top players are saying it, you know they just seem to be towing the line or that, you know, and and it's continued on that way. I think managers are trying to, you know, cross all their T's and dot all their I's and make sure there's nothing said. So it's me. I don't know how you're going to get around it. Um, you know, I suppose the other side of that is the way um, fitness has gone as well. That. It's a funny one, you know, that we have professional rugby players, professional soccer players that have a social life in this world. And obviously our GA players can't do anything for six months or, you know, and uh, that's 
that's it's it's a bit off putting, but um I, you know, that's the way the game has gone and unfortunately for the media and that uh you'll find there that you're gonna to have to wait for their careers to be over before you'll see their true uh, characters and that. Just a final one for me, Johnny. You, you talked about taking the, the young lads in to, to look at some of the photos of, of the old Offaly teams. Mm. Like another <clears throat> fellow county man who's, who's done great things. And I know you're a bit of a bit of a golfer, I think I'm right in saying, yourself yeah. uh, at the minute. So Shane Lowry is someone who, who really, we shouldn't be surprised at what he's been doing over the last number of years because he continues to do it. But uh, again, another man who's, who's, who's put your county on the map and, and probably inspired a lot of those young lads as well. Yeah, listen, Shane has been marvellous um, and again, steeped in the tradition of Offaly, um, Offaly GA with all the Lowry's and that. He's never been shy on the international stage, you know, to show that uh, Offaly jersey and that. And, you know, the rumour had it that, um, and well, I don't think it was a rumour, but on All-Ireland final day, he was putting on the Offaly jersey to go down the 17th or the 18th driveway or, or 18th uh, fairway on um Whatever tournament he was playing, I didn't, you know, I don't know what it was, and uh, we were two pints up at the time, and I think he got to the 18 tee box, and uh, the caddy just gave him a, a quick nod, no, last minute goal, so he put the jersey back in the bag, but uh, he's been marvelous in terms of listen, he's after coming on board, and you know, he, I don't know what his talkings were with JP McManus in terms of how JP has invested money in Limerick. But his money is, you know, is 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 going to be a major help kind of coming through. Plus, he'll have the experience of a management team there. Now, you know, the gas thing about our um, Shane uh, has been do, doing all that. But that's part of, say, the Faithful Fields project that's over there. And that has been a massive, massive success. I think it just brings a major spirit to, you see, you have the minors going in there and they're training with the under-20s, the C. Doffley senior footballers, C. Doffley senior hurlers, they see the whole professional outfit on it. So, you know, Everything, everything is combining, you know, with 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 year long work in terms of fundraising and, and getting facilities right. That is all a major help. And maybe I'm, I'm just saying, maybe, maybe these are little the green shoots that can bring Offaly back up to that next level. Yeah, no doubt. Johnny, great stuff. Great to have you on. Thanks a million for talking to us. Have a great night. Cheers. No problem. Thanks a million, lads. That's Johnny Pilton. He's part of that fundraiser uh, this day next week. And as I said, at ML Verney on Twitter for tickets for us. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us this morning, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Now, uh, a reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're joined on the line now, I'm delighted to say, by Alan Mangan, who's the Castletown Gagan Senior Hurling Manager, whose side have just won the Westmeath Senior Hurling Championship for the first time in five years. Alan, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, lads. Yeah, not too bad now. If it wasn't good this week, it'd never be good. I was going to say, uh, congratulations first off. Um, People will be familiar with you as a footballer, uh, a Leinster winner with Westmeath. How did you end up as the manager of a hurling team? Well, to be honest, I actually played county hurling before I played county football. So it would have been, we would be a very strong hurling uh, area in Westmeath. Not so much for the football. I think the only person really before me would have represented Westmeath in football would have been Willie Lowry and Paddy Corker. And apart from that, nobody really else played football for Westmeath. So we'd be very strong uh, area in terms of hurling so I would have played an awful lot of hurling growing up and never really played football with Westmead until I was in my under 21 never right. played minor or anything like that so I played hurling the whole way up and then just 
fell into football then later on. My favourite uh, cliche that the hurlers have is anybody can play football who can play hurling. <laughs> Any hurler can always play football. So you're, maybe you're just proof of it. Took it up at 21, kicked four points in a Leinster final replay to win the game. Thanks very much. No big deal. Oh, Jesus. I don't know if you saw the first, if you had watched the first day, you would know that I wasn't <laughs> that good at all. Uh, very quickly, I was carted off after 45, 50 minutes the first day. So I got lucky the second day. It's good to make amends and good to make amends to this. I think yeah. as a manager, this is your third county final in the last three or four years. Is that right? Um, well, no, it's uh, in 2016 and 17 or 15 and 16. I managed uh, turns past senior footballers in a county final. Um, unfortunately, we came up against this strong St. Lomas team that are still at it at the minute. And we got beat, beat, beaten by three, four points the first day and two points the second day. So... Um, it was third time lucky for me in terms of senior county finals, I suppose. Yeah, well, no harm. So um, you're, you're obviously, you, you see parallels between managing football teams and, and managing hurling teams as well. Is it just is it just about having a clear identity and everybody knowing what their, their job is and making sure that you get buy-in on that? Or are there more specific nuances to it? No, really. I, to be honest, I, I sort of trained the senior hurling team this year with, like, I had a great management team along with me. Um, but we trained them sort of like you train the football team. It's uh, lots of short-sighted games, lots of uh, condition games, stuff like that. So we didn't, I didn't really change it up too much. We were trying to change football drills into hurling drills and vice versa if we were training football. So, um, no, it's all about having the right group of lads behind you. And if they're willing to buy into whatever you're saying, you could get the results at the end of the day, which we did. It's funny, Alan. When you when you're like a, thinking of Mayo and, and teams losing finals, and from Castletown's perspective, they've they've been the bridesmaids quite often in 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 finals. Like looking back to the last couple of years, lost by a goal in 2019, goal after extra time 2020, and then by uh, three points to Harney last year. As you say, you've come mm-hmm. on board this year, but uh, Clonkill, the, the team you beat in the final at the weekend, like bit of a bogey team I know you played them in the first round of the championship this year and, and lost by, by 10 points so quite the turnaround yeah. to go from a 10 point defeat to winning the, the county title against them well to be yeah true but like the way the season was condensed for us this year we ended up playing um, Sunday and Wednesday before we played Clunkill on the Saturday mm. in the first round of the championship so we had two football matches within six days of that first round of the senior and we got a couple of injuries um, and then, unfortunately, Angus Clark in the first game, halfway through the game, tore his hamstring, and he'd be one of our more prolific players, let's say. And uh, we sort of we we got a bit of a trim in that evening. There's no doubt, and uh, we sort of started off really bad, but we got it going as the year went on. And unfortunately, the footballers got knocked out in the group stages of the championship, and that sort of helped us get a bit of rest into the lads and sort of get, we could concentrate on more training, you know. To another degree, then I guess you had. The advantage of having a semi-final, whereas <clears throat> Clonkill were, were going that well that they, they were straight to it, through to a final against yourself. So, I, I know you, you've referenced work rate and stuff in interviews before. Like, did the, having that semi-final give give yourselves an advantage almost heading into the, the decider? Well, it probably did because Clonkill, unfortunately for them, had qualified for the for the county final nearly uh, six weeks in advance right. of the final. Like their last game was a dead rubber. I think they played Lachlan Gales and Lachlan Gales were already out. But like we qualified we qualified last year through the same route. We played a semi final against Clunkill and then we beat Clunkill and we lost the final. So people can say one or the other but Clunkill sorta of had a long layoff where they didn't have really too many competitive games whereas we had quarter final more or less, albeit but name against Pollard and then we'd um Raharney in the semi-final so we had a good run into it but 
we got better as the we got better as the year went on. We started off poorly and slowly but surely got got it going and thankfully got across the line. Long time waiting and the management team over the last few years were excellent and just unfortunately they they didn't get across the line. But we we luckily enough did. Can I ask you just how how many senior hurling clubs there are in Westmead at the moment? Uh, there's six in Westmead at the minute. Right. Um, and what happens is you play everybody. Top team goes through to the county final and second and third play a semi-final. Okay, that makes sense. Um, with with six teams, it's like obviously not a massive pick of senior hurlers. And I'm sure there are some um, intermediate and junior hurlers who the uh, senior county management team are looking at. But like it feels from the outside that there's been something slowly, steadily building in Westmead hurling over maybe the last 10 years really. But the results in the summer were maybe the best ever at a, at a level that was sustained. Yeah. Maybe it's not the best ever, but certainly in the last 20 years, there was like a proper sense of these games being competitive. The result against Wexford was sensational. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. Do you feel that? Do you feel a part of that at the moment? Absolutely. I was like, I was selected with Westmead last year when we won the Joe McDonough with uh, Shane O'Brien, Noel Ark and Paddy O'Neill. Um, I was selected with the lads last year, and there was a great bunch of lads there. Like there's, like like anywhere else, we have we have clubs coming in from intermediate and senior B that are producing players that are good enough to play with the county. Unfortunately, the the other structures within some of the clubs is probably needs to be improved. But in terms of a county panel, there there's some great hurlers in Westmead. There's fantastic players. Um, like we have like we've Killian nominated for an all Killian Doyle nominated for an all star this year and. Very surprised that Tommy Doyle wasn't nominated for him. To be fair, at full back, he he's been excellent all year as well. I've been at nearly all the matches. So, and uh, no, there's great structure in Westmead in terms of uh, the county setups and the way they're, they're, the county board are working on improving players and stuff like that. So, with a bit of luck, they might get another really good run at this year. And if they can hold their own for another year, you never know what might produce itself in a couple of years. And is there stuff? Is there enough coming through at underage as well to suggest that this isn't just one group of players who've come through? That actually there's the beginning of a production line. Yeah, absolutely. Like with the under twenties this year, like with with five or ten minutes to go against Wexford in the under twenty championship, um, there was only three or four points in it, and they were well in it, and we lay in a soft goal, and and uh, then. Wexford sort of kicked on and won by seven or eight in the end, but there's a right good bunch of players coming through. Like I think this year, well, I don't think there was any under twenties um, played championship this year for Westmead. So you have that group of players coming through to challenge Wexford all the way in that under twenty. So if we can get three or four of them to pull through, and we've two young lads playing with us this year that were only under seventeen last year, and David O'Reilly scored four points from play the other day, and Peter Clark scored two. So there are two great um, prospects for the future just coming from our club along with two or three other lads as well. We're, we're probably all guilty um, at the minute, Alan, of, uh, in the media of, of not giving enough focus to the, to the club game and it's probably taken more of a, a front seat, I guess, over the last couple of months given the, the way the calendar has been has been laid out. Like You see so many stories, like I know Niall O'Brien was your, was your captain of the weekend, he got to lift the trophy and he probably couldn't be captain the last couple of years because his dad was the manager and maybe didn't want to yeah. pick him as, as the captain. Like someone who's probably served Castletown for for many years finally getting the moment and, and I can only imagine what it means for the people of Castletown as well to celebrate a win like that so you almost forget these stories in the grand scheme of the inter-county game but, it, but it's brilliant to see moments like that People, the people of Castletown getting to celebrate and Niall O'Brien getting to lift, lift the trophy Absolutely like everyone that knows Pat like Pat was a big reason for us 
uh, lifting the trophy this year. Like he trained most of these lads since they were under 12 the whole way up. And unfortunately, he was there the last three years and they didn't get across the line. But we, did, we didn't have to do too much with these lads. They were, um, they were well drilled, well trained by Pat before we even came along. So the, the good thing for Niall was that Pat wasn't there, that he got to captain the team because Pat would never pick him as the captain, unfortunately. So he, uh, Niall has been one of the best players in, in Westmead over the last 10 years. And uh, it's great to see him going up the steps to lift the cup. But in terms of um, teams... The, the way the, the club has been looked at at the minute, I think it's great that um, we're getting a bit of focus on the club scene now. Like if we didn't play, if we didn't, play, if we went back to the normal route of things, that the All Ireland final would have been only played a couple of weeks ago, and we'd still be focusing on the All Ireland football final rather than focusing on some of these county finals. Do you take any elements of of other managers that you've played under yourself and in, in, into your own management, like? Like even modicums of of Paddy O'Shea's style and management from from those glory days at Westmeath. Like, do, do you do you recall moments and things and team talk styles and that sort of that sort of stuff into your own managerial style, or how do you how do you approach it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, I think um, especially Paddy and Tomas O'Flaherty and Michael Ryan would be three lads that I would really. Um, have focused on and what they were doing over over the last couple of years in terms of me being manager. Um, I would have wrote down a lot of things that we would have done a training and some of the stuff the lads would have said and tried to use them and pretend that they're me on and they're not me on at all. But uh, the the lads, um, them lads were unbelievable. Sure, they were three of the best managers that anybody could ever work under. Um, I think in terms of speeches, I think. I couldn't really use some of the stuff. Sure, didn't Paddy give me a, a charge in one day for being thrown out over the line like a loaf of bread? So oh, I that was you. That. that was me. All oh, right, yeah. Jesus, you're famous. <laughs> that was me for being thrown out over the line like bread. a loaf of bread. So, pardon? <laughs> like a loaf of bread. That's an amazing yeah. speech, right? Yeah. So he, uh, I was the one that was on the brunt end of that. It was about two stone lighter than I am now, so people mightn't recognise me that much. <laughs> but I still hear it. I still hear it to this day. When if you go away for a weekend, someone will surely spot you along the line. Right. Uh, what was that like, actually, when you were <laughs> when Paulie's balling you? Because you know it, the the it comes out the the, the program marooned comes out after you've won something, but you're living in the middle of it, going, "Jesus, am I going to get dropped here? Like, is is this what? is this tough love from Paulie? Because he trusts me, he knows I'm going to take it right, or is it like what? shit? What's going to happen?" Yeah, no, in fairness now, Paddy would always have said, if I don't rate you, I won't give out to you. Right. So I came off, to be honest, I was taken off, as I said earlier, I was taken off after about 50 minutes of the first day. And I was very poor, extremely poor. And I went away and was thinking, Jesus, am I going to even start the next day? What's going to go on? But when he actually gave me the charge at a training in front of everyone and gave Derek even... Luckily enough, he came in after Derek, after me, giving him, a, giving him a charge and we're not being tight enough. So I sort of got slightly away with it. It wasn't on my own. But I sort of knew he that it was going to start the following weekend then because he wouldn't have said anything to me at all if if he wasn't going to start me. So I sort of had relaxed and trained well that week. And uh, But it was a little bit of a kick in the arse, probably the kick in the arse that I needed, to be honest. So um, some things are said for a reason. And lucky enough, I got away with that one. Because, like, all joking aside, you did play really, really well in the in the replay. Yeah, no, I played well in the replay. Played really well. I actually played really well all year, to be fair, leading up to it. And then I don't know, maybe it was nervous got the better of me. But I was, and I was also marking Joe Higgins and probably the best player, apart from Sean Marty Lockhart, probably the best player that I that I ever had marked. Um, no, we're still. 
Yeah, we just lost the, the Skype connection there. It's unfortunate. Didn't I've totally forgotten that he was the, the loaf of bread guy. That's a... Uh, yeah, it's just one of those things you, you forget in the annals of, of history as, as time moves on, but I can only imagine the speeches Paddy O'Shea gave in those dressing rooms. Like, just... If you, if you can't get pumped up for a match listening to Paddy O'Shea, then I don't think... I'd say we saw the best of them in documentary, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, yeah, at least we got the insight. Yeah. Um, um, only for the cameras, you'd be, you'd be in trouble because you'd be trying to imagine what, what it was like in those dressing rooms, but... Alan, that, Alan's back there now. Yeah, Alan, you were just saying uh, Keith Higgins the first day, I think... Or not Keith Higgins... Um, Joe, Joe Higgins was it you were marking the first day yeah I was marking Joe Higgins the first day and he absolutely cleaned me out there's no <laughs> doubt like me and then I had the, I had the audacity to think I was going to take Darren Rooney on down the line uh, with a ball and Darren left me in nearly in the front row of the stand so that's where the loaf of bread came out of he drove me over the line so uh, but listen apart from Joe apart from Joe Higgins Sean Marty Lockhart they're the two of the best players I ever marked so I was I was lucky enough I didn't have to mark Joe the second day. Dennis Glennon was that good the first day. Joe had to go over and pick him up. Yeah, you probably had to mark John Keane quite a few times in training, I'd, I'd imagine, as well. And like himself and Desi now in in the Westmead, Westmead senior football job. Like, was that Were there two lads who you, in hindsight, looked back and said, yeah, they were two leaders in the dressing room and, and probably inevitably were going to go on and, and manage Westmead at some point? Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, probably... Arguably, two two of the best players to ever played for Westmead, if not the two best players, um, and it's great to see them involved. Like it was, it was a massive boost for Westmead last year to get Desi and John involved. The one year, it's uh, it's not too often that you can get two all stars to slip into a, a setup the way that Jack got them involved. But uh, listen, Jack did a great job with them over the last few years. They're they're on the up, they're improving every year, and uh, with a small bit of luck, Des and uh, Des and John can bring them on to another level again. It's it's a great appointment. I know from talking to, I'd be very friendly with David Lynch. Obviously, he's from my club, and uh, a few of the other lads. I'd be still friendly with lads, uh, Kieran Martin and likes them, and it, they're really excited about the two lads being involved. And it's great for Westmead at the air. It's funny because um, Michael Dugan's involvement with Offaly, we all kind of pay a lot of attention to what's going on. But what's happened in Westmead GA in recent years, uh, as a dual county, is at least keeping pace with what's going on in Offaly, if not outstripping it. Like, obviously, um, the footballers had an incredible year. And I think they kind of actually made the Talton Cup by the celebrations, in a way. Like, the outpouring of emotion that they won a trophy, that that team, and particularly some of those players who are all-time greats, that, like, they enjoyed that so much and took so much from it. It now, it gives the whole competition this huge boost in terms of profile next year. So, I, like, you know, you guys are the um, club hurling champions. Like, not that there's expectations, but there's an opportunity for you to go on and, and I don't know, maybe do something for the rest of the year as well. Yeah, well, listen, just in terms of the Italian Cup, it's great. It's, it's, a, it's a massive competition. It's, it's absolutely brilliant that, that we have that competition to play for. And the lads are going to go on a holiday and enjoy it, and rightly so. Um, the way the Westmead celebrated it was uh, it was brilliant. Like we were in Mullingar and I remember standing on the sideline or standing on the side of the street looking at it, thinking like there was there was memories of 2004 coming back to how mad it was. Like it was absolutely crazy. And then you have the Joe McDonough from last year as well. There wasn't quite such big scenes, but it was close enough. It was similar enough in in regards to that. And then with us, um, we have to play the Kilkenny Champions down in Nolan Park now, and like. We're going to go back training this Sunday morning. 
we'll give the boys the week, they'll enjoy the week. We'll go back training Sunday morning and listen, there's not no one's going to expect us to go down there and win, but we really want to go down and give a good account of ourselves just to prove that Westmead Hurling is in a good place, not alone just the county team, but the club scene's in a good place as well and we're hoping that we can we can give a good account of ourselves down there in five weeks' time and if we you, you never know if, if Lady Luck shines down on us, you never know what may happen. Well, listen, Alan, if you do get any lady luck, it'll be well-deserved. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. You've been great. Cheers. Appreciate it, lads. Thank you. It's uh, Alan Mangan there, obviously celebrating uh, success with the uh, with the club in Westmead. And we'll obviously keep a close eye on that um, uh, provincial championship as it starts. Yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. And, and like those, those scenes in Westmead, really, I think you're right, rubber stamp the, the Talton Cup as something that we should be watching and the teams will want to win. Like, Cavan will have been gutted and it would only have been, I guess, added to the devastation of losing that game because of the way in which they had to probably watch and see Westmead celebrating on the news and stuff. Um, adds adds an element of... of Because you're thinking, right, this is a new trophy, it's got no history, it's got no uh, folklore behind it, but um, now it does. And that's that's all with thanks to Westmead. So, uh, yeah, brought, definitely brought back some memories of the, the 04 glory days. It's at quarter past nine this morning. Graham Shaw says Celtic are good, yes, but some of the pressing is just crazy. Running out of good positions to run after the ball with no hope of getting it. Sometimes it's just not on. Like the other thing is they look exo- like they looked quite tired. Some of the players after half an hour, I thought a little bit leggy, and that that's obviously down to the style of play. But um, Ange Postecoglou, as you say, he's not going to change. So they're probably one of the fittest teams in in world football at the minute because of the way they play you know if they were to get out of their group next year they'll point at yeah. the learning curve this year and i, I know uh, joe hart has uh, not made mistakes in or that often in the league but like maybe you need to move on from him and find somebody who isn't going to make that decision isn't going to play that ball doesn't have that brain fart in his game yeah um, I, you know, the Celtic fans obviously very proud of, of what he's done since he's got there because he's been a, an important part of their success but anyway uh, Powell 74 says Westmeath and Offaly leading the fight back in Leinster are the bigger counties Meath and Kildare are going to step up well um, they've all got their own version of the Magnificent Seven going as well so it'll be interesting to see what Colin O'Rourke can do um, Johnny McGee was a tough man it's nice to hear this says Michael yeah that interview um, really sensational stuff um, Johnny speaking with his daughter uh, Joyce wanted to win the All-Ireland playing attacking football and now he has Galway the most defensive team assembled in the country says MJW bit harsh bit harsh have you seen some of the Ulster football? Yeah. MJW, have you? And I mean, they're, they're a little bit more... Def- Did you watch Derry at all? They're a little <laughs> bit more defensive. And I enjoyed watching Galway last year against Armagh and against Derry. I thought they I thought they were good games and not necessarily ultra-defensive. So, yeah, no. And whatever gets you the win. Look, it's it's like Ange. Porrick Joyce is going to do what he can do to get them as far as he can. So, fair play to Porrick. Yeah, poor Kathleen left off air and a salmon t-shirt makes it on, says MJW and Tennis Tank. Says, I thought Shane didn't have a shirt on. It took me a while. Get a, lot of st- get a lot of stick for this one. There you go. You should just not wear the um, the shirt over it next week and see what people. Yeah, just wear, I'll, I'll just cover up for all the people offended in the comments. Sorry, yeah. sorry, folks. <clears throat> uh, right, uh, we are going to be back after these with Israel Olatunde, Ireland's new superstar sprinter. OTB AM. All right. Well, Israel Olatunde, Spar European Athletics Championship finalist, was this week at the launch of the Spar College Fund, in which third-level students in Ireland have the chance to win two prizes of five thousand euro each to support them this academic year. Spar has teamed up with the fastest Irish man in history, Israel, and TikTok star Kian Mooney, and are calling on college students across Ireland to record a TikTok video in their local Spar in under 10.17 seconds and share it to Kian Mooney's TikTok channel to be in with a chance of winning. To find out more, 
you can, of course, visit www.spar.ie. Delighted to say Ireland's fastest man in history, Israel Olatunde, is with me on the line. Israel, how are things? Yeah, not too bad, Shane. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I'm sure you don't get uh, sick of being called Ireland's fastest man in history. It's it's a pretty cool title to have, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's a, bit, it's a bit strange at the same time, you know, to think that uh, <laughs> I can actually call myself that. But, yeah, it's like this is stuff of dreams, really. Like, you kind of dream of moments like this when you're young and you're coming up in the sport. You know, it's always like a goal of mine. Um, to actually just see it, you know, come to fruition really means a lot to me. And I'm really grateful for all the support I've had and leading up to this point. Were you kind of blown away by the by the reaction after the the race in Munich, and especially that when you broke the Irish record of Paul Hessian? I mean, it must have been quite extraordinary. I think you said yourself that you know you went viral after that, and 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 became a bit of a household name here in Ireland as well. So it must have uh, taken some time to get used to all to all of that. Um, yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty surprised to be honest. Um, just seeing the reaction of everybody. I think I remember after the race, like I didn't have my phone, so I didn't really know what was going on. Um, I remember the first time I called was my mom. And then I remember checking my social media and just seeing uh, everything kind of go a bit crazy. But I mean, it's, it really is like an honor to you know, just just to get that type of reaction and to make you know to put a smile on so many people's faces. Like that really means. I think that's really what made the moment so special. And um, just share that moment with my family, my coach, um, and just everyone that's helped me get to this point. But also with the country as well. Um, it really is a great feeling. And um, you know, Paul Hassan as well. I remember he. Reached out to me over Twitter and just sent me a really a lovely message. So he's a great, he's a, he's a, he's a class actor, great guy. So I'm really um, honored to kind of, you know, to carry on the mantle with, um, with Irish, Ireland's fastest one. You, you, you mentioned your mum there and I know uh, she's been a, a big influence on your career as well. And, and both of your parents, in fact, but uh, I've heard you talking about the fact that your, your dad claims he, you got your speed from him, but uh, I know your mom was a sprinter back in the day. So, so is it, uh, is it an argument in the house as to where you got the speed from? I mean, it's not really an argument, but just if my, if I'm not there and if my mom's not there, my dad's going to take credit. So but if I'm there, I'll, I'll set the record straight and tell him that <laughs> it wasn't from him. Um, but now my mom, she used to run when she was uh, younger. So, um, she was shopping for a school and for a state as well. Um, and my sister was actually the one that kind of got me into athletics. She used to do athletics with her school, with secondary, from secondary school. And uh, my mom used to take me along just to kind of watch them. And, um, just from there, I kind of got interested in, in in it and I guess the rest is just history really. How how important has the support been from from Dundalk? I know uh, everyone from the town is, is is very supportive of you and and it's kind of um, put the town on the map in in more ways than one because it's 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 obviously a big sporting area as well. The soccer team and 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 uh, Louth Gaelic football team and and all other sports kind of uh, takes out a stage in Dundalk. But uh, I'm sure that was nice to to kind of go go back home and kind of relax after the the, the atmosphere in Munich and and just. And soak in the atmosphere back in the dock. Yeah, I'm, I'm a friend of docking, so it really means a lot to me to be able to, you know, obviously like we're famous for our football, but to you know shed a light in a different way, you know, in, in athletics. You know, obviously just Kate O'Connor as well, who's been doing amazing things. You know, to be able to share kind of the stage with you know athletes like her as well, it really means a lot to me. And just do the do my time, do the time prior. Um, I got I was getting those messages on Twitter and stuff like that, but from the dock, um. And the lot of people just like just give me so much support and everything. I really meant a lot to me for sure. You you mentioned Paul Hessian there, and, and that's a record, uh, hundred meters record nationally that that has stood for for quite some time. Um, and like even listening to Paul talking after after you broke the record, he was delighted that it was you that did it. Um, but he was also really interesting. Um, kind of listening to Paul talking about the one hundred meters itself, and he he was talking about how the mental side in the, in the hundred meters in particular is 
is nearly 90% in the head was the quote he, he um, came out with. Would you, would you agree with that, that it's kind of a discipline that, that really you have to be obviously physically strong, but, but clearly mentally it's, uh, it's very important to be uh, at the top of your game as well? Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, in every, any sport, you know, the mental side is so important. It's, but I think especially in the 100 meters when the margin is so fine that like one, you know, misstep can you know, cost you... Uh, it costs your race really so I think it's so important to be in the right mental state to get to produce your best and to to do what you need to do really so that's something that's yeah, I'm still young but it's something I've been working on um over the last year I guess specifically with my coach Dan Fogal and something that we've kind of seen great improvements on but still some improvements to be made um but just even at the European championships there like um I was really proud of the way I kind of conducted myself you know in each after each round um it is toxic mentally but um, it's just it's just part of the game really, and you have to kind of learn how to deal with that, um, deal with the stress and with the pressure, and to channel it into a positive way. It's able to kind of help you, I guess, in the performance. Do you kind of take take influence and and inspiration from from other sports people? I know just before we came on air, we were talking about the the Muhammad Ali poster behind me here, and I know you said you had you had an Ali poster in, in your own bedroom. Like, are there sports people like that, whether they're past or present, that you kind of have taken inspiration from growing up? Yeah, 100%. I think at the moment, like Muhammad Ali probably is a, a person that you know, I'm kind of, I can look up to and I'm reading his, one of his biographies right at the moment, just learning about him as an athlete and as a person. Um, he's a very interesting character for sure. So I think there definitely is things to learn from him, from the way he conducted himself for sure. Um, but in terms of sprinting, uh, there's a sprinter called Noel Lyles that and I kind of admire how he kind of runs his race. And that's something I'm trying to, you know, emulate, you know, he's so strong over the last 15 years. And that's something I'm trying to, I've, I've improved on, but I think there is definitely improvements to be made. So I'm trying to kind of copy what some of the stuff he's kind of doing. It's funny when you mentioned the, like the Ali biography, like there was one I read a, f- a few years ago myself, Jonathan Ig, I think wrote, wrote, that's, that's the one. one. Is it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, but it must be, it must be fascinating from your perspective to read that book because, you know, although Ali was in a different sport, he, he was also an individual athlete like yourself, where I know you get to take part in the, the in the relay, which is, you know, I guess a team discipline, but but by and large, you're training by yourself, you're competing by yourself. So from that perspective, I guess you can see similarities in, you know, the, the life of a boxer and the life of an athlete. It's quite similar in some ways. Um, yeah, I guess so. But I mean, I wouldn't really, it's, I, I, I wouldn't really describe athletics as like an individual sport, you know, um, I guess you compete on your own and that's, I guess competing is like the easy part because the hard part is, you know, the training and everything kind of leading up to the race. But, you know, in that process, you know, I have so much support from just my coach, from my training partners, uh, my family, just like I have a really good support system that, you know, helped me every step of the way. So it's hard to, you know, to take all the credit for um, any given performance when so many people have, you know, have a hand in what I'm kind of achieving today. How important is the is is the the coach uh, athlete dynamic? I know Daniel Kilgallen has been working with you for for a few years, and he's someone that's been very important to your to your progression over the last few years as well. And uh, am I right in saying that you went for a cheeky McDonald's maybe after the after the European final in, in Munich? It's you've obviously built up a relationship where it's 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 coach and, and athlete, but it's also a friendship now at this stage. I'd imagine. Yeah, the thing is, I think the coach athlete like relationship in any sport is vital, especially in, in a sport I guess like athletics where. You know, is is individual performance really? Um, I think it's such like a great like responsibility, you know, to be a coach. And you know, I have full trust in Daniel. Um, not kind of give me a freedom, I guess, to just to, not to worry about some certain things. And you know, he kind of takes care of a lot of things for me and for our, our training group. And you know, I'm just able to just show up the training, 
do whatever session he has prescribed for me and listen to any feedback he gives me and try to improve on those things. Um, but yeah, after, after the final in Munich, we got back to the hotel. Um, things were a bit um, hectic at the hotel, so we kind of snuck out to get a cheeky McDonald's. Um, and just we just talked for, it was like what, 1 a.m. in the morning. We got back at like 3 or something for a couple of hours just talking about like different things. But um, as you said, like, obviously, like, we're coaching athletes, but we're also friends as well. And remember Emma Dahl, just talking about like, random stuff <laughs> that have nothing to do with the athletics. Um, but I think it is important to kind of have a coach that you trust and that you're able to, you know, kind of get to call your friend really. And I'm really blessed to have that. And, and and I guess even thinking before your your time with Daniel, you you would have had people like Jerry McArdle there in Dundalk who who obviously worked with you for years going up. So you, I, I'm sure, especially when you have moments like you did in Munich, you probably are, are triggered to remember those people, the people that kind of helped you from from the very outset of your career. Yeah, hundred percent for sure. Like Jerry McArdle, he's I still see him as one of my best friends, and I see him as a mentor. And I was I learned so much from him, and to be able to like shared it I, I, I should share this moment with him really meant a lot to me because you know, we if this, he's the one that kind of started everything really he kind of took me in um as a 15 year old and just kind of developed me I guess as an athlete and as a person really as well and um, when I started with Jerry we didn't really we just wanted to see how like we just want to see where things would go we didn't really have any um I guess ambitions of you know that would end up turning out like this we just wanted to be the best just be the best that we can be really and to see where things have gone really means a lot to me to be able to you look back and share this moment with him. Uh, tell me, Israel, about the about the burst spikes. This this story kind of uh, popped up uh, across your time in Munich that you, you you seem to be bursting a couple of pairs of spikes that which seems bizarre. It's like a golfer uh, breaking their club in half. Um, I'd imagine so. Uh, and it, it wasn't just one pair either. It was a couple of pairs. So that that was probably an indi- indication of how fast you were running. Yeah, I think this season I've gone through maybe like six pairs of spikes just from them bursting on me. Um, but yeah, like literally, I was doing my warm up before the final. I was actually doing my last run of my warm up, and I just felt I felt my I just felt the plate really. I heard a pop as well, and I turned back, I looked at Daniel, I gave him a smile. He already knew what happened because it's happened so many times this season. And um, but you just have to roll with it. Really, you can't really think too much about it. I didn't. There's nowhere to get an extra pair there because I already burst a spike earlier um for the championship um in Munich. Um, I burst a spike during, during my last training session. So I didn't have a spare pair. I just go with it and wear the deflated pair for the final but I mean this is part of the game and you can't really think too much about that uh that in the moment. You have to just get on with it really. So you managed to become Ireland's fastest man with a with a burst pair of spikes. Yeah pretty much that's what I'm gonna tell my kids for sure. Yeah. <laughs> It must have taken a couple of hundred seconds, you'd imagine, off the, the potential time you could have got. But at least you have a good excuse. You can, you can go again to break the record, I suppose. Yeah, that's the plan. I mean, we'll see, we'll see what I can do with two proper functioning pairs of spikes. It's funny. Like You, you strike me as someone who, who, who um, you know, you have a good head for it. You, you obviously downplay expectations. Like I remember you talking about, you know, in interviews before the championships in Munich, you, people were asking you, you know, whether you, were, you wanted to make the semifinal or the final or what your expectations were. And, you, you know, you you were kind of talking about how your goal was just to to compete to the best of your abilities. So are, are you just the type of person that doesn't really put a, a figure on it, the time or a, or a you know getting to a final? It's just compete and and feel good after it. I guess is the is the attitude. Um, I guess like I would have maybe like before the season starts, I will have kind of time goals that I would I want to achieve. But that's even even those are they're pretty loose and it's just to. Keep myself engaged, I guess, during the season and all. But 
I wouldn't, they wouldn't, I wouldn't be too strict with it. Like, I know, like, even with the time that I've set, I can achieve, like, so much more as well. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't be too strict with, I guess, with the, with, with the time that I want to achieve. I just want to become the best I can become, you know. Um, just take each day one at a time and just see the small improvements we can make to, to guess, to build a bigger picture. I know you're studying in your in your final year at the moment, Israel, for your your computer science degree there in UCD. Um, like it must take quite a bit of balancing between you know the running and and your academic studies and and having a social life and dealing with you know with your family as well. Um, how have you managed to maintain that? I know obviously you're, I'm sure your family and Sport Ireland and, and the university are all key cogs in that. But how do you find because a lot of athletes we speak to talk about you know burnout being a serious issue. So how, how do you find managing all all those different facets of your life? Yeah, there definitely is like, you know, kind of a lot to kind of try to fit in, but, you know, there is like a good, there's a lot of hours in the day. So I guess just like kind of managing your time well and set priorities really like, um, you know, when I'm training, I'm training, when I'm studying, I'm studying. I'm not kind of, I set time aside to kind of do guess both and as well time for myself to just to relax and to spend time with friends as well. So I think now, especially that I'm a friend here now, but I'm also living on campus in UCD. I have way more time to, Kind of do the things I kind of need to do, especially. So, um, I mean, it is, it's a bit of a juggling act, but you know, as you said, you know, I have a lot of support from you know my coach, my family, support Ireland, Alex Ireland, UCD as well, uh, to kind of you know just support me in any way I can. I know there's a lot of lot of controversy back in 2011. I, I remember when the the track closed down in UCD, the athletics track, and and then of course it was it was ripped up thereafter. But there's been a lot of good news over the last couple of weeks. We, we've had the a fairly significant donation from from a, a former past pupil, I think, an anonymous donation that has allowed this this new track to uh, to finally get there. So this must be a really exciting uh, time for all the athletes in UCD. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. Like to have like a track that we can call our own really like means a lot to all of us. And um, yeah, it's just it's great for the college, for the club, and for the community as well to have the track. And it's just it's such a great facility. And I was I was there for the opening day and just like seeing. It actually be come to fruition after all of this time. It really means lots to all of us. It's a great facility. It's a world class track. Um, it's really going to be do wonders for I guess sport in Ireland like in general. Really, um, so really grateful for the donor. I think it was three million um, that was donated to towards the track, and you know it's just it's a brilliant it's a brilliant to operate. Um, like when you mentioned there talking about the you know the fact that it is a team thing as well when when, when you look at team Ireland going to these events and and really uh, exceeding expectations and doing fantastically well what's it like for you when you're when you're at these events uh, like Munich where where you know you're you're watching other athletes as well like Rashid Adelecki and Kieran McGee and a couple of the big names at the moment like uh, it must give you quite a bit of joy and, and satisfaction to watch your your fellow Irish teammates achieving as well in the big stage yeah, hundred percent. You know, I, I'm I'm a fan of the sport, so I love like actually being there at the track and being able to watch. You know, people that I know, you know, do what they love, especially in person. You know, it's really great to see and kind of inspires you as well. You learn so much just from watching how other athletes just go about their business, not even just competing, just how they kind of act around the hotel and stuff like that. I'm learning so much from the older athletes and even the younger ones as well. And it's great because like over the last few years, you know, I've been going to these different championships and. You know, seeing people like Rashida Adeleke as well, like we've been going to chapter together for since 2018 and kind of gets grown together. And it's great to see the kind of the heights that we're achieving now. And we know we're not done. We know there's so much more we can achieve. And um, it's just really great to see, like, and also the older athletes as well that you can kind of learn from and um, draw draw things from. So there's a great mix in the Irish camp, I guess, moving forward of experience and youth. So um, I think the future definitely is bright for Irish athletics for sure. 
I know Rashida went down the, the line of the NCAA and uh, joined the University of Texas and, and racing over there in, in, in North America. Like, it, it, obviously, you'll have your final year in UCD to complete first, but are you, are you thinking that far ahead as to, you know, what comes next? Is it pro offer? Is it go to the NCAA? Or are you keeping your options open at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, not, that, it's not that far into the future, I guess. I'm, I'm, I'll be done at UCD in May, so then after that, I'll kind of assess my options and see... I guess what would be the best op- best route for me to take to just to better my development as an athlete and as a person, really. So yeah, I have a few options at the moment. So I'll take time over the next few weeks, you know, a few months to sit down with my family, with my coach as well, and just decide you know what would be best for us moving forward. It's the European indoors next. Is it up for you in Israel next March or so? Is it? Yeah, the European indoors will be uh, my next focus in Istanbul uh, in March. So I've already qualified for that. So now I can just focus on, I guess. Just getting the best shape I can to produce the best performance um, that I can at the championship, for sure. Do you allow yourself to, to think ahead to, to the Olympics and give yourself targets, or is that just uh, too far ahead into the future to even worry about at the moment? I mean, it definitely is like a dream of mine to create at the limits. It definitely is a target. But for now, I'm focused on just this winter of training, getting through it, um, just improving as much as I can really this winter, and then focus on European indoors, then for the outdoor season, European under-23s, and then world championships, hopefully. And from there, we can focus on the 2024 season. I mentioned finally Israel at the, at the start of it as well. You're, you've been taking part this week in the, the, the SPAR College Fund and uh, promoting it as well. Third level students having the chance to win these two prizes of uh, 5,000 euro each uh, to support them across the academic year. Of course, uh, this year of all years with the rising cost of everything, it'd be a good year to, to win these. Um, so they've teamed up with yourself and Kian Mooney, the TikTok star, who a lot of people will be uh, familiar with. So uh, they have to record this TikTok video in their local spa in under 10.17 seconds, a time that, of course, means a lot to you. But uh, this is obviously, a, a, a would be a huge thing for anyone to win, I'd imagine. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's for a great cause, you know, giving back to the students. You know, there's 10,000 euro for grabs, um, two prizes of 5,000 euro each. So it really is for a great cause. You know, being a student, it's not, it's not easy at all, especially financially. So... Um, for students to have the opportunity to win this from just from a bit of fun, really, you know, just making a TikTok, just showing your local sport in 10 seconds or less. It's a bit, a bit of fun, a bit of crack. I think um, it's a great opportunity for um, for any student out there. I definitely would encourage you guys to get involved and to see um, if you can get the prize for sure. Well, listen, uh, if people want to find out more, they can they can visit uh, spar.ie, as I said. But uh, Israel, it's been a, an absolute pleasure to chat to you. No doubt we'll, we'll catch up again at some stage before the European indoors and uh, before the Olympics beyond that. So listen, appreciate your time this morning and um, up the town. Sure, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Good man. Israel and Tunde, thanks a million. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 